There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. And a very, very good morning to you. PJ is on a couple of days uh, off, taking a few days off. This is Paul Byrne in until 12 o'clock. Gorgeous morning looking in over the city from Broadcasting House. The sun is shining and long may that last. Now, before we go any further, uh, I know there's a couple of young girls who were playing uh, the Aerog Blitz yesterday. They're going to be slightly late for school because they want to hear their names being mentioned. So hello to all the girls who took part in the girls underage football blitz at Aerogan Ovens yesterday. A wonderful day. They had the weather thankfully uh, was on their side and congratulations to all who took part and in particular to all of the organisers the girls underage blitz yesterday well done to each and every one of you now at the moment here in Cork we've got two high profile missing persons cases they are Dubliner John Keevney who's 43, he's been missing uh, since the early hours of August the 21st last and the most recent case of a missing person is that of 47 year old here in Quilligan. Now, yesterday, uh, Gardaí called a press conference which was held uh, just off Proby's Quay at St. Finbar's Place. That is the last site, the location of the last sighting of Kieran Quilligan. Detective Superintendent Michael Cummins issued an appeal to members of the media and he is the headman at the Serious Crime Unit. Here's what he had to say. On Anderson's Quay on the 4th of September with another male came across the city centre with that mail. We have tracked him on CCTV to Sullivan's Key and here to Proby's Key and St. Finbar's Place. Our inquiries led us to interview a number of people and to carry out searches in this area. And as a result of uh, our investigations to date, I'm very concerned for Kieran's safety and well-being. He was last seen here, where we are at the moment, on Proby's Key, going into St. Finbar's place. And we have not been able to locate him since that. Uh, it was approximately 9.15pm on Friday the 1st of September. At the time, Kieran was wearing a black baseball hat, orange t-shirt, a blue zip-up hoodie jacket, a blue Under Armour tracksuit pants, and black Nike runners. Kieran is described as a male with medium build, brown grey hair, approximately five foot seven in height. 
My appeal today, firstly, is to Kieran himself. If he sees this appeal, we would ask him to please contact his family, his friends, or on Garda Shikana to let us know he is safe and well. I'm also appealing to any member of the public who was in this area on Friday the 1st of September between 8.30pm and 9.30pm. Even if anyone who was in the area feels they have nothing to provide the Gardaí, I want to speak to them. I want them to contact the Gardaí. That's Proby's Quay, St Finbar's Place or Fort Street on Friday the 1st of September between 8.30pm and 9.30pm. And finally, I want to appeal to any member of the public who can give us any information at all in relation to Kieran's current whereabouts to contact us. An incident room has been set up in the Bridewell Garda station. We would ask anyone with any information to contact the Bridewell at 021 494 3330. And the Garda confidential line 1 800 666 The person who was seen with Karen Quilligan, has that person been. We have spoken, we have spoken to that person. Was that person here on Proby's Key with, with Karen? Yes, they were both together, yes, and we have spoken to that person. And at this moment, I mean, the fact you're making an appeal today, are you advised to, to launch a murder investigation? No, this is a missing person investigation, and that's why I asked firstly for Kieran to contact us. People go missing for various reasons, and people just want to get away from whatever is currently going on in their life. So, firstly, we're appealing to Kieran, and after that, we're appealing to anyone else who has any information in relation to us to contact us. That's uh, Detective Superintendent Mick Michael Cummins, head of the Serious Crime Unit at Anglesey Street Garda Station. Ralph Regal is Southern correspondent with the Irish Independent. Ralph has been car- carrying that and covering that story since the beginning. Ralph, uh, Gardaí don't call a press conference on a Sunday afternoon for the good of their health. Good morning, Ralph. Good morning, Paul. No, they don't. And, uh, you know, you work the same beat as I do, Paul, and we get missing persons alert from the Garda press office. You know, Sadly, it, it, you get a couple of them every week. Um, happily, a lot of them are safely, uh, in terms, safely resolved. Mm-hmm. But it is very, very unusual for the Garda to call a press conference like this um, and to outline the details that they have. I should stress it is a missing persons investigation. Um, the Gardaí are appearing, appealing to, to Kieran to contact them if he hears or sees any of these appeals. But Gardaí seem to have information which has led them, as Detective Superintendent Common said, to have concerns for the safety and well-being of this 47-year-old man. So the investigation at this point really seems to have been led by CCTV footage. They've been able to trace the movements of Kieran Quilligan on the evening of September the 1st from a property on Anderson's uh, Quay right through the city centre over to Proby's Quay and to St Finbar's Place. But they don't have any CCTV footage of him leaving St Finbar's Place and that is their concern. Now, since September the 1st... How can a person just vanish like that without trace? Um, it, it has happened. I mean, in, in cases, there may be a gap in the CCTV coverage uh, between properties. Of course, the obvious um, reason is that someone may have gotten into a vehicle and it, it's, it's virtually impossible from a lot of CCTV footage to determine the identity of the occupants of vehicles. So it is possible. But I think the concern that Gardy have is that they've not been able to trace 
Kieran Quilligan since then. There has been no indication, there has been no phone calls to family, friends, neighbours. Um, there's also been no financial transactions since, since September the 1st, which might give an indication of where he has gone. And I suppose most critically, there's been no sightings. Anyone who knows Kieran Quilligan or anyone familiar with his description has not seen him or not reported seeing him since September the 1st. So that's why I think Gardy are putting so much emphasis on this appeal. Anyone who may have seen Kieran Quilligan um, or someone matching his description is urged to contact the, the Garda helpline, their local Garda station or Gardy at Anglesey Street and the Bridewell who are leading the investigation into this. Ralph, we do know that uh, Kieran Quilligan, who's age 47, left <coughs> uh, the Simon community in the company of another person on September 1st. That person accompanied Kieran from Anderson's Quay up along Sullivan's Quay and both arrived at Proby's Quay. For those who mightn't be familiar with Proby's Quay, it's uh, St. Finbar's Cathedral is where that's located and St. Finbar's Place is just alongside the cathedral. That gentleman who was with Kieran accompanied uh, Kieran to Proby's Quay what happened after that to that man? Has he been able to shed any light on the investigation? Yeah, uh, Detective Superintendent Commons confirmed that that individual has spoken to the Gardaí. He has given some details to Gardaí, but clearly those details are not sufficient to explain what happened to Kieran Quilligan or where he may have gone and where he currently is. So I think that's something that Gardy are still looking at. I think what they're doing is they're throwing their net as wide as possible in terms of CCTV, in terms of people possibly with dash cams, mm-hmm. fitted to their cars, taxis that may have passed through the area. And of course, anybody who may have quite a busy area very close to some very popular student accommodations and student residencies. So they're asking anyone who may have been in that general area September the 1st, September the 2nd, and who may have spotted an individual matching the description of Kieran Quilligan to contact them and to help them with their inquiries. And I know, Gardy, you're also saying even if you were there and you didn't see anything, but you were there on the night, contact them because Gardy may be able to uh, get some little piece of snippet of information from someone who may not think they saw anything, but when Gardy start questioning them, uh, you know, they may then recall, oh yes, I did see that person. And in fact, on Virgin Media News yesterday, and I think here on uh, 96FM on the social media account, there are is a, a picture of Kieran's last uh, confirmed sighting in what he was wearing and those clothing, the orange top, very distinct. So he would have stood out, I think, in, in this orange kind of day glow top that he was wearing at uh, the, the time he disappeared. Yeah, very much so, Paul. And as you said, like, I mean, anyone who's who's listening to this programme, have a look at the, the, the footage, have a look at the, the various websites and coverage. If you were in that area and you saw someone who, who looked, who matched that description or who looked vaguely like it, contact the Gardaí. But even if you didn't, and I think that's a very important point that you made, is you may not have seen someone who matched Kieran's description, but you might have seen the movements of the vehicle or you might have seen something untoward or out of the ordinary it, it may not be an individual matching Kieran's description but it could be a piece of information that might prove critical to the Gardaí so as they often say in cases like this don't decide yourself what's critical allow the Gardaí to decide that I suppose it's fair to say with every passing hour <coughs> Gardaí become more and more concerned and his family must be out of their mind with worry at this stage God only knows what they're thinking 
Yeah, very much so. Of course, the, all of this happened on September the 1st, um, Paul. And, you know, with the passage of time, the concerns and the worries, you know, they, they, they simply amplify. And again, to, to reiterate what Detective Superintendent Common says, that they are very concerned about the safety and well-being of Kieran Quilligan. And they're appealing for anyone who might have any bit of information, may have seen something, may have been in the area, to contact them and help them with their inquiries. Ralph, can I ask you as well about another missing man? It's Dubliner John Keaveney. He's 43. He was holidaying with his family in East Cork. Everything was going according to plan. Unfortunately, John, who suffers from epilepsy, appears to have had a seizure, was taken to hospital, discharged himself and hasn't been seen since August 21st. The last almost confirmed sighting was in the vicinity of Parky Cueve and his family, again, like the Quilligans, out of their mind with worry. What do we know about the search for John Keaveney at the moment? Yeah, I mean, that there's a family member is actually based in Cork at the moment and is desperately looking for John. As you said, Paul, he was on holidays in East Cork and unfortunately, John ha- suffers from um, epilepsy. He had a, an epileptic episode apparently on Saturday, August the nineteenth. Now it was it was serious enough that he he had to be transferred by ambulance to Cork University Hospital, and he was kept there overnight. Now it appears that doctors and nurses wanted to keep him for a second night, but he decided to discharge himself. Now when he left the hospital, he apparently had a number of he he was looking for a power cable or a charging cable for his phone. It appears that he managed to get one and charged his phone and his phone came on um, for a period of time. He was in contact with his family and his family apparently organised hotel accommodation for him until they could get to Cork um, to ensure his welfare. Sadly, CCTV footage shows him actually going by the hotel on McCurtain Street. And the next bit of CCTV footage is from roughly around 1am on Monday, August the 21st. Now, that CCTV footage is from the Circle K petrol station on the Centre Park Road. Mm -hmm. And 20 minutes later, a very indistinct figure is caught in in the kind of background of CCTV footage, walking past Porky Cave and heading down the Greenway. Now, Gardy suspected that may very well be John, but there has been no sighting of him since then. Now, his family are obviously very distraught and very concerned for his welfare. Um, They're saying that this is, is completely and utterly out of character and they believe it must his, his decision to leave hospital and you know he just wasn't in the, he wasn't in the right frame of mind I suppose after the seizure really Correct. and if, and if one wants to if one wants to leave the hospital uh, even though medics might disagree with them but if one wants to leave well then they can Yes, and doctors have no power mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a case like that to actually f- physically or forcibly detain someone. Um, so when he left the hospital, he, he was fully entitled to do so. So the family are obviously very, very concerned. They believe that the disappearance is linked to, you know, the consequences or yeah. aftermath of this epileptic episode. And again, 
I should stress that, you know, Virgin Media, 96FM, the Irish Independent, various newspapers, they they have covered this case. They have images of John and anyone who may have seen an individual matching this description or even anyone who was in the general vicinity of the marina are asked to contact Gardaí to help the family because obviously they're very, very concerned. All right, Ralph, thank you very much indeed. And our thoughts are with the uh, Keaveney family and the Quilligan family as they uh, hold out hope that their loved ones will be found safe and well. As was uh, Ralph Regal, Southern correspondent with the Irish Independent. After the break, I'll try this one. We'll be talking the late late show. And this is uh, Paul Byrne filling in for PJ until midday. Now, let's take ourselves back to Friday night, half past nine. Were you sitting on the couch ready for Patrick Kilty, who took over the reins of the Late Late Show? Or were you out and about doing other things? Did you watch the Late Late Show? What did you think of it? Here's how the intro went on the night. Roll it there, Wayne. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to welcome a man from Dundrum County Down. Let's have a welcome for Patrick Keelty. Oh, thank you so, so much, folks. What, what a lovely welcome. I was, uh, I was standing out the back there like Joe Duffy about to be introduced at a Wolf Tone gig. So, um, <laughs> so you've no idea how nice that feels. Uh, good evening and welcome to a brand new season of The Late Late Show. Yep. Great to be here. So nice to finally get started, because as you all know, folks, the Late Late Show has been off air now for almost four months. Well, I uh, will I say off air. It's um, <laughs> it's been on Morning Ireland, Prime Time, <laughs> Lifeline. <laughs> what a treat it is to have the Late Late Show on again after the news. That's. Um, <laughs> That's uh, just a snippet of Patrick Kilty at the beginning of last Friday night's Late Late Show. So if you were there, let us know, or if you were watching it, let us know, 0833 96 96. Shirley Donovan, you were watching it, you were sitting down, bottle of wine, a sandwich and a bag of crisps. What did you think of it, Shirley? Good morning. Morning, Paul. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I think he did. I actually think he did a great job. Uh, it's not an easy um, role to step into, but I think he... He really took it, you know, he gripped on and he, he held on and backed in and I think he did a great job. Me too, personally, I think he was absolutely superb. He was uh, he played a blinder, he listened to the guests, loved the part where he sat in with the audience and the audience interaction. He really settled in there, I think. And uh, But f- my own point of view, and I just want to ask you, what did you think of the jibes he made about RTE and the scandal that we've been uh, hearing about for the last number of months? Look, I think it was the best way to address it, to be honest. He used humour, but he didn't. He came in hot. He left no stone unturned. He used the opening monologue, which is probably kind of a new thing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they're changing the format of the show. And this is a kind of um, a US trend where you have the host doing an opening monologue. And he used it. He hit off everything. He touched off the TV licence. He touched off the expenses scandal. He he hit off the RT budget. And it was the best way of addressing it. It was 
straight off the bat let's let's get it out of the way before we it was almost like a bit of housekeeping before they move on to the business of the show Tuberty wished him well he more or less ignored Tuberty uh, didn't say anything about you know thanks to Ryan for holding the fort for the last 14 years or whatever it was do you think he should have said something and uh, we wish Ryan the best look I think it's it's something that you probably don't really want to touch off because it's still a little bit raw. I think the archive recording of Gay Byrne doing the intro at the beginning was a lovely nod. I love um, that piece myself. I thought it was fantastic. I hope they keep that, actually. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I actually thought it was a lovely way to start. It was kind of a real nod and it was a real mark of respect. And I think that's who he wanted to to pay tribute to and I think he didn't really touch off Pat Kenny he didn't he definitely didn't touch off Ryan but that's okay he's he's paddling his own canoe now he needs to make this his own and I don't think he wants to get embroiled in in that I, I, I agree with you but let's say when he introduced the band as Grant Thornton and the Flip Flops and he was talking about the Oireachtas Committee and what have you remember you maybe a TV license pair they have been squandering your money for the last number of years and he and I look I'm the first to make a joke and I've got black humour and what have you like that but he was making a joke about taxpayers money that has been squandered just squandered over the years um, as if it didn't happen you know he was making a big laugh in it uh, Archie took you all for a ride ha 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 Oh, uh, look, I think you can choose what you want to be offended by. I think he's showing his hand early, early doors and just coming out, you know, addressing everything. He won't address it again. That's done now. And he's moving forward. I, I think if people want to take it in a lighthearted way, they will. But you're, look, the late late show in some ways can be a poison chalice because mm-hmm. you're never going to please everybody. There's been amazing reviews online and social media, of course, was in full session. But there was, there were, you're never going to please everybody. So look, I kind of admire him for taking the shots, but I think he will leave it at that now and he'll move forward and, and mould the show into what he wants to do. Despite, obviously, we had, there was a, a bang at the RT canteen off the guest list, but <laughs> despite that, I think moving forward, hopefully there will be stronger guests. And I did like the fact that they didn't announce the guests before the show because I think he would have been judged before he ever stepped out on Friday night. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think he will take it to a whole new level. Um, he's the man, really, to take it to a new audience because, as I said, when you when you look at the audience, the studio audience in the night, I don't think there was anybody uh, over the age of 45 in that audience, a whole new uh, audience uh, grouping there, really. And... I suppose, oh, look, I'm 58 years of age. I don't know. Do they want me watching the Late Late Show anymore? Do they want a, a lot of, a younger audience? Because Kilty certainly will um, appeal to a younger audience. And um, I think he, he'll do a very good job. The, the guests you did mention, I think with budget constraints in RTE right now, that could be a problem going forward. It absolutely could. And, and when PJ and I chatted about this a couple of weeks ago, you have a, a lot of potential big names affected by the screenwriters um, mm-hmm. strike currently and they're prohibited from doing any promotional work. But look, I think like any new show, it's going to take a couple of weeks to bed in. They did play it safe on the guests. And as you say, there are budget limitations, but he's also not an RTE man. He's never been an RTE man. His, his TV career 
has been with the BBC and abroad. So he's, that's also why he was probably a little bit irreverent. But who knows who he will bring with him? Mm-hmm. Because he's quite well known across the pond. He's he's worked in America. So he may, he may attract good names in that regard because he has a wider audience. In terms of age bracket, I think RT now want everybody watching The Late Late Show, all age groups. The type of appeal that you have with Graham Norton in the UK, where he is has a very broad audience and is capturing right from a younger audience right up to a much more mature audience. That's what they want to go for. And I think he's definitely the right man for the job. I don't know that, you know, somebody handpicked out of the RT canteen could have done what he did on Friday night. I think he showed, obviously, his humour is a massive part of this. Yeah. But I think when it came to his his chat with James McLean at the end of the show, he showed a very empathetic side. And, you know, that is something that pe- will appeal to people as well and appeal to a different type of an audience. I think there's huge potential here for him. And I'm very interested to see where, where he's going to take it. And I'm with you on that. I think he's going to do a great job. And thankfully, Tommy Tiernan didn't get the gig because Tommy's show in itself is just superb and I think they'll have two great programs, one in the shape of Tommy and one with Patrick Hilty. So Shirley Donovan, will we make it a date for next Friday night again at half past nine? I'll see you there, Paul. I'll bring the wine. Gorimila Mahagut. Thanks, Shirley Donovan. Annette, you were so excited to watch it on Friday night and you're after getting a little um, surprise letter in the post as well. Good morning, Annette. Good morning, Paul. How are you? Good. Tell me, what are are your thoughts? You were excited. I was excited, yeah. I've always loved the little itch, and I always enjoyed Ryan Tuberty. Um, so I was I was dying to see how, how it would be like what it would be like with a new presenter. And I have to say, I think Patrick Kilty knocked it out of the park. He did really, really well. Now the monologue at the start, you know, about RTE and the TV license, I felt it went on a bit too long. Mm-hmm. Me personally, now two or three gags would have done, and then let's move on. You know, it, it's a done deal. Leave it in the past. You were know? you in any way, while well, you say it might have been too long, were you in any way put out by the jokes, the fact that you've been paying your TV licence all along and people have been living it up, yeah. living in the life of Riley and they've been buying flip-flops and buying <laughs> tickets to concerts and what have you. Yeah, but yeah. would that have annoyed you in any way? Because it's, it, listen, what has happened in Montrose is no laughing matter, really, at oh, the God, end of the no. day. I mean, look, this is it. I mean, it's public money and it has been squandered. There's no two ways about it. Um, I guess it's a case of we, the public, you know, need to keep an eye on this going forward and make sure the pressure is put on the likes of RTE and anywhere else that gets public money that they, you know, it's not squandered in the future. That we, You know, we make people accountable. But there's only so much we can do. It's up to the powers that be to make sure of that, you know. So, look, we have to just... Um, move on, basically, you know, and just hope that the right people are keeping an eye on everything and that it's not going to happen again. And I think Kilty is, is one of the, the the right people to bring things forward uh, from a television perspective anyway. I think, Absolutely, because as Shirley just said a minute ago, you know, he's not an RT boy. He mm. wasn't there before. So, you know, we don't make him suffer for the sins of the previous people in RT. And so we just move forward, clean slate, and let the man do the job. He's well capable of it. And um, I think it's just nice to have a fresh new face on it, you know? Uh, I think the majority of people, 99.9% on social media on Friday and across the weekend, we all come to the same agreement that 
Keelty is the man for the job. Lots yeah. of people were saying as well on social media, oh, he's not as good as Gay Byrne. But with respect, Gay is gone. We have to move forward. Others we were saying he's not Pat Kenny. People who were listening to this this morning will say, oh, geez, will they ever bring back PJ, get rid of Paul Byrne, he's crap. But you've got to move forward, don't you, really? Gay and Pat are gone. This is it. And I mean, the thing about it is, you know, you're there to do a job. You're there to cover for PJ. You're not PJ Hogan. You're Paul Byrne. So, you know, it's going to be a different type of show. Mm -hmm. That's the way life is. You can't keep things the same all the time. You have to move on. And so, you know, people are entitled to their opinion. But at the end of the day, you can't stay there. It'll become stagnant if you stay with the same people all the time. You know, you have to add a freshness to it. Otherwise, people get bored. You know, we get bored. Tell me this. You got a letter in the post with some good news about the show. How did you uh, wangle two tickets? (laughs) Excuse me, I wangled four, Paul. How dare you? I'm available that night now. Come on, son. (laughs) (laughs) I'll drive the car. You can do the drinking. (laughs) Not a bother, you're on. What happened? Tell us. Um, Well, you know, I just... When the the applications opened for uh, audience members, I said, right, here it goes. Let's stick in um, an application. So I did. And, um, you know, they ask you various things um, in, in the application, like, would you be willing to get involved? Would you be willing to speak if, you know, you were asked? And I'm like, well, I'm not known for being quiet. So, you know, here goes. And, um, yeah, so lo and behold, I got an email on Friday morning, just after actually this show finished, because I had been chatting to Emer before that. And next thing I got an email, say I got four tickets for Friday week. So not this Friday coming, the following Friday. Who are you bringing? <clears throat> now, I am bringing, see, I'm going to Dublin, obviously, so I'm bringing my friend Bonnie from Dublin. She's bringing her uh, friend Rachel, and there's one slot available. <laughs> what do I have to do? <laughs> I suppose, Paul, look, if you're going to do the driving and you're going to supply the alcohol, sure, look, I'll just go with you. Okay, well, who, Annette, who was on, <laughs> Annette, who was on before you? Or, no, sorry, not Annette. Uh, Shirley, who was on before you? Shirley, the date for Friday night is cancelled. I'm going to Dublin with Annette. <laughs> I can't wait to see who will be um, a guest on the night, you know, because one of the things they ask you when you apply is, like, who would your dream guest be and that sort of stuff. So, who was your dream see, guest? Well, there was, obviously, there's more than one. I mean, you were number one on the list, obviously, Paul. Check is in the post. And, <laughs> and then I said, um, Gareth O'Callaghan, because I love Gareth. I said, Brendan O'Carroll, absolutely love Brendan, been following him from way back when. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see him on it. And funnily enough, actually, one of them was Mary McAleese. And oh. lo and behold, she was on last Friday night. So Very I was good. delighted to see that. Yeah. This and so, yeah, so that was just one of the things. So being able to see would one of my wish lists be there. Before I let you go, Annette, mm-hmm. do you think would he ever get Tuberty on the show? Or is it just move on? Let, let it be. It's gone. Look, move on. What's that going to solve? You know, it would be an incredibly awkward interview mm-hmm. for both of them, not just one. Both of them will be incredibly, incredibly awkward interview. And let's face it, we would all be cringing at home, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Because they would not be a nice interview to watch. Certainly not. You know, um, I, I don't see the point. Now, and don't get me wrong, it's not that I don't want to see Ryan Tuberty. I think he's great. I never had an issue with the men. So I've no problem with Ryan Tuberty being there. But I just think it would be super awkward for them to conduct that interview and for us as viewers, it would be very awkward.
Very good. All right. think there's any point. Inez, listen, lovely talking to you. Uh, looking you forward to meeting you. Yeah, I'll you meet you outside the Savoy, so Friday night, for about half five. All not right. a bother, lad. See you then. Thanks a million. That's <laughs> Annette. Now, Annette and Shirley have thoroughly enjoyed the Late Late Show. My next caller said she has wasted two hours of her life, and she did so last Friday by watching the Late Late Show. Mary, good morning. Good morning. How are you? What? How, how, how depressed are you? <laughs> I just thought it was just a complete non-event. Basically, two hours of my life that I won't get back. Like, what I would normally do and what I did on Friday is, you know, start the show, record the show and start it late. Mm -hmm. So that you can skip through the ads. Okay. I had done that, but I actually watched the ads. (laughs) I needed the break (laughs) from watching it. Why? What what was so bad about it? It was just, it was just so, I won't say so, the, the, the few cracks at the start were a little bit funny and I said, grand, you know, not obviously presented to the standard, say, of Graham Norton or something like that, mm-hmm. but, you know, they were funny and I had hoped that, oh, great. And, you know, I could see he was very nervous then, you know, there was a bit of nervous laughter there himself. He kind of seemed to think of some of them were funnier himself than what other people might have thought, but I just thought, and then he didn't, he got more nervous, I think, and it just all was extremely flat all the people that were on it like he had five comedians Mary McAleese and your man McLean your man McLean was very interesting yeah but for that to be the most kind of entertaining would you have have expected a stronger lineup for the the first night and that's no I don't mean that in any way of a disrespectful to who was that I actually like People, I just thought that people like Hector, Hector and Tommy Tiernan, who would normally be so funny, and I would be rocking with laughter sometimes at what mm-hmm. they. It was just completely flat. I just thought altogether they seemed to be having a kind of an in conversation, and I felt very excluded. I suppose. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, but were they allowing Patrick uh, Keelty to be himself, and that they weren't going to be the funny men and take over the show, but, or should they have? But like, we needed, we needed somebody to. Ramp, or he was, you know what I mean. If he needed help from his friends to get over his nerves, they needed to ramp up and help him. Mm-hmm. Lots of people and were saying, "All right, that uh, Hector was extremely quiet for, for, for oh, a man who was very vocal." Out of, he looked bored out of his brain, and I was have to say, I was there with him. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. just in house, and I felt um, like that. It was all kind of based, like there was. Two guests, like, and they were the two Johnnies who, you know, are you either like, you know, they're either your thing or they're yeah, not. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and they were not really overly in that context. You know, their own show when they're staging their own thing, but just being interviewed like that, they weren't really very. But they were the only two from the south. Tell me this: leaving <laughs> um, the guests aside, leaving his yeah. nerves aside, is Kilty the man for the job? I had hopes for him again. I would have liked him. I thought he was very bland though or something he mm-hmm. looked like kind of just a bit washed out already <laughs> you know like I, I don't know will you I give it will you give it another I go i'm not sure i wouldn't have been no i wouldn't have been a fan of the late late yeah, show yeah, yeah. for a long number of years anyway but watched it just with hopes that you know it was going to be um increased i was particularly i was personally gutted at, at i suppose um 
Mary McAleese and, you know, especially all that thing around abusing refs and things like that. Mm -hmm. I thought it was extremely inappropriate the way it was. Yeah, that's a a major bone of contention with people at the moment, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I just thought like that, you know, that yes, she has stopped or whatever, but she has stopped because of the disapproval of her children and grandchildren rather than the underlying that this was absolutely wrong. And while somebody like her might know when to pull back and what, or, well, she, and it's obviously she seemed to go quite a long way before she felt that, you know, that, well, obviously she wouldn't, I would expect, not have, you know, got involved physically. That was all verbal abuse or whatever. But yeah. that was just totally inappropriate. And that the fact that it was at children's matches that this was going on, given the controversy that there has been around that and, you know, yeah. the abuse that... I just thought it was totally inappropriate for somebody who like, I would have always seen her as a role model and yes, uh, yes. you and know we all looked up to her and uh, yeah absolutely you thought she and, the idea co- and herself on. and and then landing JP McManus's wife in the same mm-hmm. thing with, you know I just think geez what hope does a ref have if they're dealing with kind of that kind that, that level of, of hassle it seemed to be quite intense and. I just didn't think that that was in any way amusing and I thought it was very degrading, you know that, it, that, that, that it was a kind of a, a, a really like it was an okay thing to be involved in until your kids objected to was really mm-hmm. <laughs> you know alright look we'll switch anyway. off the Late Late Show okay? okay we're going to go down into the apps and into Netflix and you're watching um, a documentary at the moment which you find quite fascinating The Blue oh, Zone The Blue Zone Tell me about Amazing. it. I, I've heard it. I think I heard PJ mentioning yeah. it. It's basically these pockets in the world where people live longer than everybody else. You know, the average, the longevity mm-hmm. of the inhabitants is longer than everybody else. And it's absolutely fascinating. I know we all, you know, we all think that eating right and going to the gym and we'll all live forever. You know what I mean? But there are so many factors and, and how, to longevity. who are these people and where are they? Are they Well, like to tell you, the first one that they go is Okinawa in Japan. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, they live... But all these pockets, even though they're there, they're all being taken over by consumerism and the usual things, the younger generations in them, you know what I mean? And already they're seeing that this life expectancy that was there for generations is now starting to be eroded again. But the, the place in, in Okinawa, you know, they mm-hmm. basically they live in, well into their hundreds, you know what I mean? And it's all based more family life, um, care in the community, you know, look, um, eating kind of basically with a wide range of foods and things like that. But, you know, there's um, huge evidence that faith-based communities... For, Faith for example, based. live longer. Faith-based. Faith it doesn't matter what your face. We're not talking about Catholicism. No, yeah, yeah, we're just yeah. Talk. And in the case of Okinawa, it's, you know, um, a kind of respect for their ancestors. They revere their ancestors. It's not anything to do with the particular god or anything like that. You know what I mean? But and are, and are these people, when you say the they're living in pockets, like, I mean, again, I haven't seen this, so are these people, yes. like, are they tribes? Are they living on an island? No, they're or? not. No, well, Okinawa is an island, yeah. you know what I mean? But yeah. there was a, po- a community in... Within that island? Um, within the US, mm. um, oh, right. in Sardinia, one particular village, and 
you know, the surrounding villages didn't have the same level of longevity, and it, it happened to be just the steepest village. And what age, the, the, are, these people, <laughs> what age are these people living to? I mean, and uh, are they stress-free, we'll say? Because stress is a killer. Yeah. Basically, that seems to be that the way they live reduces the stress in their lives. You know what I mean? They, You know, again, the fact that they believe in a higher power, if you like, mm-hmm. that they don't have that control, so they don't stress over things, I suppose, that are out of that control because mm-hmm. they trust it to God or trust it to their ancestors or trust it to whoever that they revere. I know. Um, one of the major things, um, there's a pocket in Costa Rica, which will be one of the an impoverished third world yeah, yeah. country. But they are living longer. Their health system is operated at a fraction of a cost of mm-hmm. the health systems in the developed world because it is focused on keeping people healthy rather than fixing them when they're sick. Tell me this briefly before we uh, let you go. What have you learned from it? How have you changed your lifestyle or have you in any way, Harry? I suppose it's just the balance. And you know what I mean? Uh, I suppose, and again, I suppose... You know, living the way you can live in the space you're in and making that as stress-free and productive, just doing the normal things that you do not have mm-hmm. to actually do anything extraordinary right. to to live long and healthy. That's the, It's the quality of life that these people enjoy into old age, you know, and, you know, the, the study found as well, that kind of thing that, you know, putting people in homes, for example, shortens their lives, and yet that's the route we're all going down in the developed world, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mary, listen, thanks for taking the call. Um, We're going to try Blue Zones, uh, the Blue Zones on Netflix. Uh, Mary gives it a thumbs up, she gives thumbs down to the Late Late Show, but uh, enjoy Friday night, whatever you're doing this Friday, Mary. Thank you. Good morning. And uh, this is Paul Byrne filling in for PJ on this Monday morning. Now, a few texts in relation to the Late Late Show last Friday evening. Uh, Anne-Marie says, I enjoyed the show, but did not enjoy the way he made light of the Ryan Tuberty issue. What Ryan went through for the last number of months was horrible. He should have kept his mouth shut, says Anne-Marie. John says, the heady days of the Late Late Show are gone because the big issues have all been settled. However, there are still some serious issues, such as housing and hospitals, and I'd like to see them tackled to an extent, but not to the depth that Gay used to do. If it's going to be all celebrities, it won't work. It will die like all the other chat shows. You need a bit of backbone and people with remarkable stories, as it has done up to now to ensure its continued survival. John in Cove says that show should have been taken off the year years ago. It's a tired format, and the money paid to presenters is way too much for a small island like ours. There's a lot of people who would work for many years for the kind of money Patrick Kilty will earn this year alone. And uh, I enjoyed it. Well done, Patrick, says Katie. Another caller here, Sally, says the level of guests from the RTE canteen is actually mortifying and she has seen it all before. Another texture says, what about the IKEA desk on the show? RTE could do a lot better. I liked the American style, but not the desk. Uh, Paul, if Patrick Kilty didn't address the RTE crap, people would have more issues. He wouldn't want to diss RTE 
CTE either because it's a cutthroat job and he could be dropped as fast as that, says Jackie. And the last one for now, a good show. I enjoyed it. He's a breath of fresh air, says Simon. And uh, last one here, sorry. I think they should have employed Brendan O'Carroll, Brendan O'Carroll to replace Ryan Tuberty. He's one of her own. He understands our mindset and our humour. He's also very intelligent and capable of asking difficult questions at guests, of guests. He would be ideal for the job. Look, the jury is out, but I'm sure uh, Patrick Hilty will keep hosting the Late Late Show as long as they keep paying the bucks. Now, the next item might be interest uh, of interest to a lot of you listening this morning. Uh, if there are small ears, maybe you want to um, block them for a while. Uh, you know, you might be with your partner for years and years and may feel the spark, especially in the bedroom, has been lost. Clinical psycho- sexologist Emily Paris-Smith has been writing uh, about this for quite a while and in particular with the Irish Independent. Emily, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm very Lovely good. sunny day here. Thankfully. <laughs> We're here to talk a little bit about life in the bedroom. And um, why are there two sides to that life for many? When you say two sides, can you say well, what you mean? Okay, some might be at it morning, noon and night. Others will rarely <laughs> be in the mood. Yeah, and why is that? Yeah. Well, the the beauty of it is that there is no right or wrong amount for anybody to be being sexual. It really is a very individual thing. So some people naturally have a lower sex drive than others, and that suits them. And if you're happy with the level of sexual activity you're having and your your life feels satisfied, then that's all you need to know. There's no need to compare yourself to anybody else. Um it can be tricky if one person in a couple has a lower sex drive than the other person. Um, it can be tricky for both of them. They can both. It can be quite disconnecting for both of them. Does it have an um, impact on, on a couple's uh, marriage? Um, as I say, if if a couple is happy, they're both happy with the level of sexual activity they're having. Then then people live live fine with that, and that could be, you know, three, four, five times a week, or it might be once a month. There really is no um, no set rule. So, if one person isn't happy with the level of sexual activity in the relationship, then there's an issue in the relationship for both of them to look at. Um, and, and so, yes, it can definitely cause problems when there's desire discrepancy. It's the biggest thing that couples come to me about. And I was just going to ask you, how can they solve that if, we'll say for argument, one wants it five, six nights a week, the other wants it once a month. Do they come to you? Is it best to talk to one another or is it good to talk to a, a, sex, um, a, sex, a sexologist like yourself? Well, you know, the, the thing is, you, you need to figure out why why the person with the lower desire wants to have sex the amount that they want to have it. First of all, you need to find out, do they enjoy the sex that they are having? And nobody's going to crave sex if it's not fulfilling for them. And a lot of people are having unfulfilling sexual activity. And mm-hmm. um, the problem is that they don't know how to talk about it or they don't know what they'd actually like. Or, you know, we still live in Ireland and there's still a hangover a little bit around um, being a little bit ashamed about your sexuality and having desire. So um, all those things can get in the way of a person wanting to, to have a good sex life. Then there are physiological reasons, which could be the time of their, their lives, they, they, any medication or, or 
surgery they could be uh, they could have had could all affect that sort of thing medications these days a lot of them impact so it, it might be about the relationship but it might impact the relationship so yeah start by talking getting really clear what what does sex mean to the person who wants more sex because the person with a higher desire can often get shamed by their partner sort of like oh you'd have sex with anyone at any time all you want is sex and actually that can be really undermining and it, 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 there's often more to it than that. The person with higher desire might actually get their feelings of connectedness and intimacy from sexual acts. Is it often the case that w- one of the two um, would have sex just for the sake of it c- to keep the other happy? I mean, that happens a lot as well. It happens a lot when a person can't own their own sexual uh, identity and their own sexual uh, desire. So if you are uncomfortable with, with saying, you know, I'm a sexual person and I like sex and I want sex, then it's going to be very hard for you to have sex for yourself. You're going to be more inclined to have, it's a patriarchal model we're still using that it's usually in a heterosexual couple, but not always by any means. And it's usually the woman who, you know, she should provide sex for her male partner. And while that even sounds very outdated, as I say it, I I meet that value a lot. And is is there a lot of pressure on women? Is there a lot of pressure on women to to have sex just for the sake of it to keep um, her man happy? Again, that's really down to the couple and what their values are, what their education is and what their beliefs are. Some people believe that that is the case and for a lot of people they don't. And so a lot of women will put that pressure on themselves and they will um, rush sex and rush to penetration and rush to getting it over with because they feel then job done, I've provided for for my partner. But the sex that's being had is really not great for either of them because she's not into it Mm -hmm. and he probably knows that. So it puts him in a position of taker or selfish and her in a position of gatekeeper to their sex lives. And it's not a good place for either person to be operating from. Can toys help matters or the lingerie or you know whatever one will wear in the bedroom or you know can somebody introduce toys um should they should they say look things aren't great let's let's try this well you know i think again if you've got to a certain point where you're talking openly with you with each other and you are and you like each other and you trust each other and you're ready to be intimate with each other and you want it, then you can start talking about toys. What doesn't work is for the person with the higher desire to come home with a load of lingerie or a big, huge, mm-hmm. you know, toy the size of a draft excluder for for their partner, because they're 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 taking the decision out of the person, the other person's hands. They're making a very personal decision about a toy that that only the person using the toy should be making. And it usually just makes things worse. Um, Heterosexual men in particular tend to choose ridiculously large toys for their partners quite often, imagining that that's what's missing in the relationship. When actually it's probably more about talking to their Mm -hmm. partner, helping her to feel uh, valued, sexy, interesting in a non-sexual way. You know, there's a lot of stuff I would pu- I would want to know is happening well before you think toys are, are, are going to be any use. If you're on the same page, toys are fantastic. They can really help, particularly as we're getting older and you need more stimulation on your genitals to have um, arousal. You know, a toy can be a, a great relief for a tired hand or mouth, for example. 
Tell it's me, an aid rather than a replacement. Tell me, Emily, people who come to you with, um, you know, problems in the bedroom and they're, and they're discussing, have you ever noticed that, you know, the person with the higher sex drive may tend to stray from the relationship because things aren't as exciting as they may should be in the in, in the bedroom? Well, it's really interesting, actually, when, when you look at the research around why people stray. There are, of course, people where it's purely about sex. But actually, a lot of the reasons people stray are not about the sex. They're about the intimacy. They're about wanting something new. They're about wanting to be seen with new eyes. You know, um, a mistake a lot of couples make is that they don't get enough time apart. They don't get enough time to go off and generate energy and enthusiasm apart, which they can then bring back to the couple. People think they should, should do everything together and um, always be very caring and thoughtful about the other person when it comes to sex. And yes, you do have to do that, but you want to be careful that you don't stick to just your same old, same old over and over again um, because you don't want to rock the boat. That that gets really boring. And then it's often more about the emotional that people um, go outside the relationship. It, it, it's it's not a given by any means that someone with higher desire is going to go outside of the relationship. That's mm-hmm. a whole different choice. And it's a mistake to do that with as your first port of call when you haven't tried explaining to your partner just how serious it is that you're not having having the sex life or the intimate life that you would really need. You know, you might often come across a situation where you know, it's often said that men will boast, oh, I did this last week and I did that and what have you like that. But can I ask you, is there a lot of pressure on on women who might be involved with, say, in a group chat amongst three or four of their friends? And one might be saying, oh, I did it five times this week, where in fact she mightn't have done it five times in the last year. And that, you know, one is trying to impress the other. Uh, can that happen? I mean, uh, like men are known to boast and then it's all just uh, bravado and it's all, you know, a load of cock and bull. But is it, is it a case of women can sometimes tell a few fibs and others are impressed by those fibs, but believing that they're truths? Well, you know, that's kind of, yeah. I mean, ev- anyone can lie about anything and it can be believed and it can be admired. But I don't think that it's... I don't think women are going around patting themselves on each other on, on their backs, you know, opening a six pack, sitting back and talking about their conquests. I think most women have better things to talk about mm-hmm. and tend to use their time better. But yeah, certainly as um, as things change socially, um, it, unfortunately, I think some women are are, you know, taking on some of the less attractive and more toxic traits of, of, of males, of of masculine uh, ways of being, and that can be one of them. So I do think some women, uh, usually younger women at this stage, will boast about their sex lives. It may or may not be true. Um, but the interesting thing is that um, but everybody, and it's not just a gendered thing, will, will be looking for ways to connect. So they might connect on, oh, aren't I amazing? I had the best sex. I have the best best sex life. Or the other way they connect is, mm-hmm. oh God, it's Friday night again. I'm going to be expected to to have sex again tonight. Oh Jesus, and and that's that's not just women anymore. You know, um, that's as as we're allowing space for men to have feelings and emotions and to be complex creatures and layered personalities, which of course men are. 
um, you know, men are actually stepping forward a little bit and going, uh, I need more than just, you know, a receptacle. I would like to have a connection and feel valued and I need my emotional needs met a little bit as well. So I think we're moving into a very interesting time. We live in a rat race, Emily, and, you know, people are, people are under pressure. And is that part of a problem as well within people's lives? You know, they're like uh, ships passing in the night and just uh, barely have time to see one another. You know, it, the way that life is going yeah. at the moment, is that having an effect as well on people? You know, because Absolutely. look, you have childcare, yeah. I got to get to school, I got to get to work, I got to take the kids yeah. to soccer, tra- training, whatever the case would be. Mm. And they just don't have time for one another. Is, is that a case? That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, I think we are told, we are taught, we are, you know, we're bombarded with messages that we can have it all. But actually, you can't have it all. Nobody can have everything all the time. That's just not, that's just a myth to get you to buy stuff, I think, personally. But um, so, yeah, I think people are tricked or they trick themselves into a position of busyness and often sexuality or their sex lives gets get bumped down the list of priorities because we also have this myth this idea which is a total lie that sex will just happen naturally and we'll get back on track and it should be spontaneous and we shouldn't have to put as much time and effort into planning as we do with soccer practice or the shopping or going out for dinner at the weekend everything these days has to have a slot and has to be planned and has to be scheduled or we miss it and and sex is no different and i think that's one of the reasons why it gets bumped down the list is because we don't we don't connect planning to sex, whereas we connect everything else to planning. Um, so it gets left out. So I, and I think busyness and devices are really they're both the cause of of um, disconnect, but mm-hmm. they can also mask disconnect. You know, if you're on your phone, we all do it. We out for dinner with a friend. The friend goes to the loo. We immediately start scrolling on our phones. It's a great way to not feel alone or look alone. Mm-hmm. But we're doing that in our intimate relationships as well. And then it becomes that habit. And it's hard to put the phone down when your partner is there looking for you and wanting to have time with you. We still get tempted to be on devices and, and to make other things more important. It's habit, though, and it is. It, it, we can l- unlearn it. We just have to break it's those just habits. Habit. Just break the habit. Yeah, which <laughs> easy to say, really hard to do, though. Look, finally, again, we spoke at the start of the program. Uh, again, advice for couples stuck in these positions: counselling. It's one of the best options. If there is hurt, if there's distrust, if it's hard for you to talk, if you feel very, very vulnerable about being intimate with each other, then a bit of therapy can often help to bridge those gaps. But equally, if you if you can communicate and really listen to each other, you can, you know, there are better resources now than ever. You know, there are lots of, of websites and Instagrams that you can follow that will give you good advice that you can you can um maybe rekindle uh, a little bit together but yeah there are certainly times when therapy is needed for sure emily finally if somebody wants to contact you how can they do so for for some advice so my website is empowersme.com and you can contact me through that and you can find me on instagram as well and facebook i'm not brilliant on my social media but i am present and you'll find me under empowersme as well very good Listen, clinical Oh, and I'm sex- doing an Instagram Live tonight with RSVP at 8 o'clock um, um, uh, as well. So you can find me on Instagram Live as well tonight at 8, as it happens. Very good. <laughs> All right. Clinical sexologist uh, Emily Parr-Smith, thank you very much indeed for talking to us.
a million. Take care. Bye-bye. An email to the programme. Uh, basically, the headline says, My child is miserable. And it says, Hi, guys. I wanted to reach out for some advice from your listeners. My little girl started in creche about two weeks ago. She was a COVID baby and has been at home with childminders for the first three years of her life. So I was a little nervous about her starting, but she bonded into creche two weeks ago. No problem whatsoever. However, that joy at her new creche crash was short-lived because after about three or four days she started crying at bedtime and in the morning saying I don't want to go to crash when I asked her about it and whether she likes it she says no we've said it to the teachers in the crash who are absolutely fantastic and they say she seems happy out during the day so they're not concerned Katie says she's heartbroken over her little girl who's three and still little baby. She works full time as does her husband and it breaks her heart to see her so upset every night and morning and Katie is wondering is there any advice from anyone who might be able to help or anyone who has gone through what her little girl is going through. Well Emer contacted Bethan O'Reardon who's a psychotherapist and presenter of the Mum Mind podcast. Bethan good morning. Good morning thanks for having me. Not at all. You've been listening to the email there from Katie. Um, I suppose anyone who's a parent, like me or yourself, very upset when a child is upset. Oh, stop. It takes me back. I'm a mum of three. And so even when, um, and and my three are older now, they're eight, ten and twelve. But my gosh, those crash days, sometimes I look back and I think, how did I actually get through? Because there is that emotional heartbreak of, well, I work, I have to go to work. um, And then you're leaving a sad child. I mean, oh, it's really complicated stuff, isn't it? Have you come across situations as they call them, COVID babies who are finding it more and more difficult to interact than children who were born pre-COVID? Yeah, so uh, absolutely I am. So I I run an online parenting support called the CAM Parenting Community. And in that, there's parents of all different age children. But there's huge discussion in that around the COVID babies and the babies that find separation very difficult. Because I guess you see, I mean, maybe it seems obvious, but just to say, you know, a a lot of the time in, in, say, the therapy world or the child development world, we talk about attachment and we talk about um, you know having a secure attachment but the only way that you can securely attach to someone is by having the practice of separating and then coming back again so if there wasn't the separation and coming back then that can be difficult you know that can be really tricky what is the child going through psychologically you know um if he or she is crying in you know b- b- before going to bed as soon as they wake up in the morning. Now, they settled in nicely into the creche, but what what, it do, yeah. what is that doing to a three-year-old? Uh, well, I think, you see, we have to be careful because chill, a child at the age of three is still very young and they could be crying for loads of different reasons. I work very closely with a child um, and family psychotherapist and she would say that children one of the biggest things that they cry about when they're sad is that they're very fearful of not being young anymore. 
And they're, and, you know, so there's a kind of thing, you know, you're three, you're a big girl, off you go to your preschool, aren't you so big? But actually they feel very young on the inside. So they could be, they could be upset for so many different reasons. But the other thing we have to normalize is being upset. You know, I know this isn't great. Sorry, on you go. What is it you're going to ask? No, 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 no. I mean, are, are we expecting too much of the three-year-old? Are we expecting the three-year-old to behave like maybe a five or six-year-old and just get on with it? Well, I, I think it's tricky, isn't it? Because the normal response of being sad is to cry. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you see, I work a lot with um, teenagers who are self-harming and suicidal. It would have been a, a huge chunk of my work um, over the last well, kind of six to ten years. And a lot of that is the inability to express what's going on. So in some ways, I'm, um, I don't know, pleased makes me sound like a total crazy person. But it's great that this child is able to express Express what's going on for them. Mm -hmm. Yes, that there is like, yes, of course, it's sad. You're leaving your mom, you're leaving your dad. And you have a great time when you're there. You play with your friends. It's everything. It's like, I can be sad about something, but I can also get on with my life. I want to bring bring in your partner in crime on the Mom of Mind podcast. Uh, Steph, <laughs> Steph, good morning. Hello. Oh, I'm here. Can you hear Steph, me? good morning. Sorry. Good morning. Steph, you've been listening to uh, Beth there and in relation to this little girl who's crying uh, yes. as soon as she wakes up in the morning and as soon as she's uh, heading for bed at the night. No, she settles into the creche nicely as the day goes on. But again, a COVID baby. Are we, um, oh, what can I say? Are we blaming COVID for everything? No, but I think, like, my daytime job is Kinderama, and we visit lots of creches and preschools, and I think this is the cry of preschools throughout the last 18 months, because these little ones didn't socialise as much as other generations. They didn't go to the playgrounds as much, they weren't in the parent and toddler groups, they weren't being dropped off at nanas and things like that, so they are finding it a lot tougher. And once they're in there, they're having a lovely time. And I think that's important for this mum to remember that when when she's leaving mum and when she's being collected by mum, those are the times that she's upset. And that happens an awful lot. It's kind of like, oh, now I remember to be upset because there's mum again. And I think in, in the middle bit of the day, if she's settling in the creche, are happy. And I'm sure the creche would be quite happy to kind of send like a little video or a little photo of her happy and playing away just to reassure mum. But I think, you know, we're two weeks into the new term and I think it's okay that she's finding it difficult given all that we've been through in the last couple of years. Well, as you said, we're we're just two or three weeks into it. So she's got to give it a little more time. I think so. And I think lots of communication with the creche, lots of communication with her little one, being consistent and kind of not extending that drop-off period. I think lots of mums get tempted into that or I'll hang around a little longer to reassure you, but actually that just prolongs that little bit of kind of upset time. Sometimes it's better to have the kiss and the hug and off you go and I'll see you later. And in they go. And yes, they're upset at the time, but the crash can reassure you meanwhile. And then you're there to pick her up. As Bethan was saying there, the, the, the reconnection is important. Bethan, I know how long is a piece of string, but how long can something like this last? Um, <laughs> forever? No, that is not what this mom needs to hear. I well, I think the really important thing is this, is 
children don't work a child this young doesn't work with the language of logic so mm. if the mom is using like us us three here and whoever's listening we're talking logic jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it blue nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price go to bluenile.com and experience the convenience of shopping blue nile the original online jeweler since 1999 that's bluenile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion bluenile.com hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. We're using our adult brains to, to, to really problem solve. Children don't have the brain capacity or the skills or the uh, life experience. So this, if the mom is talking to the child in a logic way saying, but you go, you have a great time and, and then I come for you and the child on the inside is still a whirlwind. The mom needs to figure out a way to connect with the child's feelings. And this is done through somatic work, we'd say in therapy, but through the body and helping that child to feel safe inside without words. And when the mom can do this, then this reduces. And how the mom does that is how you feel inside. Mm -hmm. Children feel how the parent feels. That's what I was so just going to ask you. Mom, if mom, that's what I was going to If mom is anxious because her little darling is crying uh, the little the child is picking up on this as well is is that making matters worse yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it's normal. You know, I'm a parent and I do worry about my kids and, you know, they played this football match for the Skeenish Skull and I was like, oh, I hope it goes well for them. And I was mm -hmm. anxiously hopeful for them, you know. So children feel how we feel and that's always going to happen. But we need to learn to keep an edge on us. And then we say to our child, when you say goodbye to your child, you're giving it from a place where you feel that total love and, and, and the, the knowing that they are going to be okay and 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 then when when you do the repair because the repair bit is when your child sees you at the end of the day and you say come on you're here it's great to see you and you give them a big hug it's how you feel about them it's that your face isn't full of fear think oh my god they're going to cry it's going to be awful it's that you know they're going to cry because they're pleased to see you again and this is their release from the day 
you know, and, and that you are okay with that as a parent. So that is how you reduce this stuff over time. You use less logic, you talk less, and you find out ways of making your child's body feel safe. I I work in uh, Virgin Media News and I, I, I've covered a lot of stories where children are beginning their first day in uh, junior infants. And they're, over yeah. the last number of years, there are little practically little or no tears whatsoever from the boys and girls who are starting in junior infants. Is this because they've enjoyed their time in creche and they've been introduced to um, school, something outside of the home uh, prior to, to going to junior infants? I mean, Absolutely. it, 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 it is a big help, isn't it? Absolutely. They have so much fun at school. I mean, let's not forget, this isn't sending them in to do their sums and reading and writing straight away. There are so much, so many gorgeous activities, so many things to play with. So, you know, where they're practicing the shopping and the, all the little bits and bobs that they can do. They love it, which is why once they're in there and they remember what a nice time they're having, all the artwork that they do, stuff, you know, the singing, the dancing, the playing outside with their friends, it's such a great and important step for them to take. And I think it's important to say as well, our temptation sometimes as parents can be, or oh, stop those tears now, come on, you're fine. But actually, Bethan has highlighted there, it's really important to acknowledge that they're upset and why they're upset but also to remind them that they're going to have a lovely time once they're in there. That's what I was just going to say. So finally, Beth-Ann, I mean, this mum, I know it's causing her so much heartache, but stick yeah. at it and it'll sort itself, you think? Yeah, absolutely. And just so she knows, like, she's not doing anything wrong. I mean, mm. I know loads of mums have this huge guilt around working and the complexities of that, but, you know, just... Be your child's detective. Hang out with her and have fun. The more fun and the more playfulness you can have with a child, the better um, equipped they will be for coping with life. Use less talking. Talk with your husband if you need to talk. But just play with your child because that is the thing. And 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 really have fun together because that's the thing that creates a secure attachment. And she'll be okay. Finally, Beth Ann, how did the children get on with Skeena Skull? Did they win the match? <laughs> Well, they did. You see, it's high pressure because they won last year. <laughs> and in in Parky Cueve, both the girls, uh, no, the girls didn't. Yeah, I think the girls and the boys, they both won the hurling. So um, so it's high pressure, you know, sheesh. Um, so onwards and upwards, hey. Very good. <laughs> Listen, thanks, ladies, thanks thank you so much indeed. Beth Ann O'Reardon, uh, co-presenter of the Mum Mind podcast, and Steph McSherry, Mum Mind podcast and creator of Kinder Mama, or Kinder Ama, I beg Kinderama. <laughs> Listen, just very, very quickly, if uh, somebody wants to contact you, how can they do so for advice? We've got an email address, mm -hmm. mummind at gmail.com. That's it. Simple as that. Oh, great, right. because I was totally stumped then. I was like, I don't know. So, yes, so thanks for that, Steph. <laughs> All right, thanks for Beth having me. Beth, Steph alongside and sort her out. Listen, <laughs> thank you very much indeed to both of you for joining us. Good morning. There were some very, very high-powered, expensive cars in and around the city yesterday. And we had, uh, of course, the Cannonball Run event, which was happening in East Cork. Uh, traffic came to a standstill in many, many places. In fact, a traffic chaos. And uh, Louise Murphy, you were not impressed, I understand. Good morning. <laughs> Hi, Paul. How are you? How are you doing? What happened? Tell me, I'm you got caught up in uh, the cannonball run. Uh, yeah, so we were coming off the island uh, yesterday to go to Middleton to a child's birthday party. Now, luckily, we had left an hour and a bit beforehand. We were going to go shopping or whatever. 
it was absolute nightmare. It took us 40 minutes to get from Foda Bridge to just the grass verge before the hotel entrance. Right. You had cars parked all along um, the Foda Road on either side from that from that part onwards. Um, you had guards there directing the traffic, but it seemed to be that there was only traffic flowing one way. Like, I don't know how often they were letting cars pass the hotel from the cove direction, but it felt like maybe only two or three at a time, and then we were stopped again. Like, and were the cars well, parked either side? Of the, were the cars parked illegally uh, on either side of the road? Yeah. So on the left and right, mostly on my left as I was travelling out of Cove. You know, there's that big grass verge there, yeah, yeah. and there's things that you can kind of pull in. You're not supposed to, but you can. There was cars parked in there. Like there was cars even parked as far back as near the wildlife entrance, and people were walking along the photo road up to the hotel like you know there was kids walking it was just a nightmare and like you know health and safety dangerous you know it's not a road you want to be walking at the best of time and did you say anything to the guards uh no we came up so we got through the first roundabout eventually and we came on to the second roundabout because as i said we were going to middleton but like we'd one guard tell us to go so my partner drove the car forward and then another guard telling us to stop so we were like are we to go are we to stop they then had a discussion between themselves like they kind of didn't really know who was telling who what did you just ridiculous did you know the event was happening uh, we found out it was happening at around one o'clock, which is why we said, look, we'll head off a bit early, but we didn't anticipate it the way it was. There was no signage in Cove. Usually now, you know, the jail break is on. They have that big electronic sign. Either I think it's they have it by the hotel or they might have mm-hmm. it by in around Belvelli. There was not one single sign. It was absolutely ridiculous. And people coming from the other side of the island, I came off the IFI side, which we'd have right away. If you were coming from the left or the other side, you didn't have right away. And the girl who was bringing her child to his own birthday party, she was a half an hour later. Oh, birthday party. Uh, she was stuck on the other side because, you know, no one was letting you out. Obviously, you know, the other side of right away, they were just driving on. But it was a crazy, it was absolutely ridiculous. So but a, like, lot, it's a, highlight, a lot more planning you know, needs to go into it if it's happening again, you think? Oh, definitely. Like I would, I you know... The, the event itself really should have provided stewards, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, they should have organised the stewards were down um, to kind of outside the hotel entrance to assist the guards. I mean, there's only so many guards at the end of the day. You know, resources are tight. Like, I, it would look like there was no liaising at all between them, that the guards were just there trying to manage it as best they could. When, in fact, you should have had some stewards there The where all the cars were pulled in. Ideally, that should have been sectioned off with cones to stop that from happening. Like, if there was an ambulance or a fire engine trying to get in or out yesterday, it would have been, Mayhem. you know, God Crazy. forbid what would Crazy. happen, you know. Listen, on Friday last, I posted something on my Twitter and Facebook account where I said, um, first of all, I got it wrong. I mentioned the upgrades at the Jack Lynch Tunnel and I should have mentioned that it was actually the uh, Dunkettle roundabout. But I have found the traffic is quite busy uh, since a lot of the road openings. Uh, You yourself coming from the island of Cove and maybe heading in towards the city, how do you find things uh, at the Dunkettle roundabout? And again, I must put my hands up I was so annoyed with the traffic at the time I just started tweeting and texting or whatever like that that uh, traffic is crazy twice as bad as it was before but and I understand roadworks have not been finished completely but is the traffic just as bad as it was prior to the works Uh, I try to avoid as best possible but on on any occasion we've gone up there recently it's a nightmare and it's worse than it's ever been 
And why like is this? Because I mean, look, there's millions, millions of uh, taxpayers' money gone into the build here, and here we are. It's, it's stuck in a car park, really, are we? I suppose my opinion is that they're still finishing mm-hmm. off the road that would bring you on to say Tivoli. You know that the Junket Road where they didn't go yeah. on to Tivoli. They're still finishing off that. The last I drove up there, I think it was a week or so ago, and it was still you're down to one lane. So you've all this traffic coming from East Cork direction and you're all filtering into this one lane, which is causing huge backlogs. Um, yeah, I don't know, is there a way around that? Can they can they adjust that to open up a second lane or do we just have to stick it up until they're completely finished? Oh, yeah. I don't know, but it, it's an absolute minefield up there and even the signage in general wouldn't be 100% clear. Yeah, yeah, it's poor enough. All right. You know? Okay, maybe I jumped the gun a little bit uh, too soon. Again, it's not finished, but uh, we, we, we'll give it another time. Louise, listen, thanks for taking the call. And, uh, no bother. Uh, we, we'll, we'll talk hopefully next year. It might be a, a better situation down around uh, Cove with the, the Cannonball event. Hopefully. Georgina, thanks, good morning, Louise. Georgina, you had a similar situation yesterday. You were caught there in traffic. What happened? Good morning. Good morning, Paul. Um, yeah, we are from Balancholic, so we just decided to go for a Sunday spin to the range in Little Island, as you do. Um, and Did you have loads of money to spend? We got a voucher. <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, let's spend the voucher. But anyway, um, we didn't end up spending anything. There was nothing there that we liked. So we came out afterwards and we said we'd go for lunch somewhere because it was about quarter past one. And, Did you have a voucher um, for lunch too? No, unfortunately. So um, we came out of Little Island and we turned left to go to Glam Town and then I was kind of thinking the elm tree will probably be mental because it's Sunday so we'd head on towards Cove. Now, I had absolutely no idea that the cannonball was on. Mm-hmm. I Now, look, I appreciate what they do. They're fundraising for children's charities. I guess that's why the things. But... When we were coming up the road towards, from, from the Glountown direction to the photo retail park, there was cars everywhere. And there was, um, the blue lights from the guards were up the top of the roundabout there, um, coming in, let's say, from the Cove direction. So you'd go left to go to photo, you'd go straight on towards kind of Barry Court. So we thought it had been an accident. And then I was kind of thinking, but all these cars are parked up on the verges. Why are they like this? Like, I couldn't understand in my head. And I was like, well, we're going to Cove. So surely once we get to the roundabout, we'll be able to turn right. So we were probably in that queue of traffic for about 20 minutes. We got up to the guard and I said to her, we're going to Cove. And she said, you're going to have to go via Barry's Court. And I said, okay. So I had to go left, go the whole way around. And then that is a tiny little road that mm. by Barry's Court Castle. We were stuck there for nearly 50 minutes. There was cars parked all along the one side. They were parked inside people's driveways. They were parked everywhere. There was children running around the cars. Um, that, like, a car coming the other direction, God help them, because it just caused absolute chaos. Like, it was insane. So we eventually got to the park directly opposite the entrance to the Fota, um Hotel, and there was one guard there trying to control the traffic. So coming from the Cove side on the left, there was nothing moving. There was cars parked everywhere, all up in the hard shoulder, all on the grass. There was, it was just, I've never seen anything like it. And I suppose our frustration was because we didn't have a clue. <laughs> so I know, yeah, like my yeah. husband was texting people going, does anyone know what's happening in Bota today? And then um, we just took a left into Cove because we had nowhere else to go. The guards wouldn't let us go right. So this was about, it was nearly three o'clock at this point. 
So we ended up going into Cove, like that girl said, the queue went the whole way past the wildlife park, over the bridge, down to Belle Valley, the whole way up. So we ended up going into Cove. We had a coffee to try and just waste half an hour. We were thinking, you know, maybe it would have cleared by then. And then we ended up having to get the ferry back across, so the ferry into um, Glenbrook there. But the queue for the ferry was equally as long yeah. because the, all the other people who also got stuck in Cove were also trying to get the ferry. So that road let's say coming out of Cove um, where people were all queued along Jesus there must have been 60 cars like we were waiting nearly an hour as well then to get the ferry and that's and, every few minutes and had you kids with you then as well in the car or? no we didn't but our little okay. man was on the way home so we were under severe pressure because he was being dropped home to Balancholic at 5 o'clock <laughs> and we obviously thought leaving our house at 1 o'clock to go to the range for an hour to come home that we would have been home by 2 half 2 and we didn't get home until gone 5 o'clock Georgina, look at the positive. Look at the quality time that you spent with himself. I don't know about that. I was on Google Maps every two minutes. We're never going to get home. We live in Cove now. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, I, I thought, look, it had been signposted. And if there was like a more of awareness in the area of what was going on, then at least it could have been like, look, okay, we'll just turn around and head back out towards the other side of Cork. You know, we would never have gone towards Cove if we knew what was happening. All right. Well, look to the organisers of uh, the Cannonball event. Again, fabulous event when it's done right and the, all the money that they raise for charities over the year. But possibly organise it a little bit better. Let us know in advance where there's going to be traffic chaos, so on and so forth, so that Georgina can get to the range in Little Island. Isn't that right, exactly. Georgina? Yes, that's it. <laughs> Not a five-hour round trip again. Thank you very much. <laughs> no problem. And remember, you still have next Sunday to go and spend your well, voucher. This is it. I know the Christmas stuff will be out then, sure. <laughs> Georgina, thanks for Bye. taking the call. Happy Bye. motoring. God bless. <laughs> Thanks, bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, Georgina and Louise who were caught up in the traffic with the cannonball run yesterday. Again, maybe the organisers uh, would just want to go back to the drawing board for next year. Uh, just a couple of texts before uh, let's continue. Margaret Smith has been on and she says, Paul, please, I hope that you'll mention the following. I'm a visually impaired person with 9% vision. I am campaigning for years to have a pedestrian crossing at CUH and to have proper audible, audible signals. It it is ridiculous that an essential medical service, which is often, which is also often used by visually impaired people, has such a dangerous crossing. That's Margaret. I'm sure there's lots and lots of people. Margaret will be in, in a similar page as yourself. A uh, person here in relation to the little girl who's crying in the crash. Uh, caller says. Our little girl was similar and settled in nicely eventually, but maybe a small few things like a treat in her lunchbox or ask her about friends in her class and bring this chat into life at the home where you can talk about all the fun she'll have tomorrow with the friends. Chat about the great things she's doing in school, like overreact to her paintings, our achievements, and chat in a positive way about her day. Thank you for that. And uh, finally, one before we go to the ad break uh, a wheelchair user has been left fuming he says I'm a middle aged disabled man last Friday September 8th in the afternoon I was out with my dog in Ballyfehan Park I was in my electric wheelchair my wheelchair stopped working this has never happened before after about 20 minutes of trying to get it going I called the guards after an hour no one had attended and I rang them again but they said they were on other uh, jobs and that they couldn't 
come and help him at that time. The caller said he felt very, very vulnerable and being out so long. And being out so long, he actually soiled himself. He again rang the guards and asked how long more they will take as they couldn't get summoned to him. I finally managed to get home, says the caller, at about... Um, I finally managed to get home a bit but it was at very low speed. Usually it takes me seven or eight minutes to get home, but it took me an hour. I do realise the guards are very busy, but I feel they should have been able to prioritise a man in a wheelchair. Well, that was a man who was stuck last uh, Friday, September 8th. The wheelchair broke down. Should the guards have been in a position, or if they were in a position, should they have gone out to help the man? If you have a, a thought on that, let us know. Paul Byrne into the final hour of the programme. Now, as I look down from Broadcasting House down onto Patrick Street, I'm looking at this green dome. And I want you to think of where is there a green dome in Patrick Street? Yes, you've guessed correctly. It is on top of the former Roaches stores. And when I look down, I think, of course, of the Debenhams workers who were in there recently and uh, went out picketing for a better redundancy deal when the uh, company went belly up. And uh, if you can think back a little further, of course, Roaches stores, many, many happy times in there. And I'm sure there was lots of romances built in there over the years as well with the staff. And Finbar Buckley, good morning. Good morning, Paul. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Finbar, for, having us, thanks for having us on. Not at you? all, not at yeah. all, because look, Roach's Stores is part and parcel of the fabric of Cork. And I yeah. just want to ask you, before we start, am I correct? Were the uniforms in Duns, are in Roach's Stores, were they a shade of green? They were at one stage. They were at one stage, Paul. You were you, you were spot on there. And then, can you change? Are you talking about the female? The, 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 um, well, the, I, was, I wasn't looking the, at you, Finbar. I was looking at no, the female. No, I will. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'm still a nice looking guy. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. No, yeah, no, no. They the, were. The, the, they were. Was I correct in saying the women used to wear kind of a green, uh, something similar to the Aer Lingus uniform, the colour? Uh, correct, correct, Paul. Yeah, yeah. It was like a kind of a green jacket with a kind of a, a white blouse underneath that, you know. But when I started back in the late 70s, I remember the uniform as being blue, like a blue a blue jumper, um, a skirt and whatever, you know. But later on, then they kind of developed into that kind of green jacket that you're talking about, you know. Yes. And uh, there was a white shirt on and maybe a blue skirt or something with that, you know. But correct, you're, you're right. That was it. That was it. And that would have been in the maybe the, the mid-90s. Early nineties, you know, right around that period, you know. When did you start in Roche Stores, well, and what attracted you to the company? Well, I tell you, Paul, I I had done my leaving in nineteen seventy seven uh, in Street and uh, you know I hadn't a clue what I wanted to do, and I was just a very good friend of mine, Jerry Desmond's mother, suggested, "Can't you go into Roaches? There, they did always be looking for people, you know." Mm-hmm. And uh, workers said, "Look." I'd go in anyway and it was November and you know the kind of Christmas period was kind of coming up you know and um, I went in anyway had my interview with Sean Fitzpatrick across the street in Merchant in Merchant Street he had an office right up, up at the top As, can you remember Paul that time um, the Merchant Street was there and you had the nursery department and the furniture across the road on that side and you also had the coffee bar but above that were the offices the as well you know and the office had a higher purchase for the uh, furniture department that time. Maybe it was one of the first companies that would have operated a higher, a higher uh, purchase mm-hmm. scheme, you know. 
and uh, I went up there, had my interview. I'll ask myself, I can give you the date. I started on the 5th of November. I think it was maybe a Tuesday. Went in for the Christmas period. Loved it. Got on ground with the lads, talking about football and all the things that I was interested at at the time. Um, I, w- I was working in the Harbour Stockrooms at the time. I had a lovely boss in Teddy Brackett. They're lovely, lovely men. And I was keeping my finger crossed. You know what? I might be kept on after Christmas here. And luckily, I was. But a memory I have of that time, Paul, if you can end, which is this. My father, my late father, David, was a painter decorator, you know. Mm-hmm. And he worked, he, he was uh, a foreman in the Cock Harbour Commissioners. And I remember, oh, gosh, we got a kind of like a Christmas box, a Christmas bonus, right? Um, it was a tenor for part-timers. And at the time, I think it was 20. The lads, no, Fred, the lads might be able to clarify this. Yeah, there. Yeah, it was yeah, uh, yeah. 20 pounds. And that was a lot of money that time. a lot of money back then. A lot of money that time. Even today. And Paul, I remember coming home, right? I think my first wage packet was 66 pounds, right? I remember my father saying to me at the time, he said, I'm not earning much more than that. I know I was coming into what I thought was, you know, what he, he I was coming into a non-skilled job, for want of a better word, but it would tell you even at that time, Roaches, Roaches paid very well, you know? I think and Roaches, from looking back and just from my experience going in there, um, they looked after their staff so well that the staff looked after Roaches. It was a team effort, wasn't it? There was something unique oh, about the shop. Very, very unique. And I suppose, Paul, you, you could hit it in the head. We got fantastic training in there, right? Mm-hmm. And we were always told, right, the patient, uh, I'm sorry to pay, sorry, the uh, customer is um, number one. Yeah. The customer gets top treatment. And one good thing, that one thing Roach has always had, if you aren't satisfied with something, you always got your money back. Always got your money back. And, and you know, it was kind of, that kind of, um, how do you say, moral obligation on the staff to look after the uh, customer as best they can, you know? And then, as you said, we, we like we were well rewarded for that as well, you know, which is great, you know. Yeah, they often say if you pay peanuts, you'll get monkeys, and I think if you pay well, you'll you'll get something in return for it, really. And you oh, oh, did like people yeah. gave their lives to roaches, but roaches again, as I said, they looked after you so well. Paul, look, I, look, I, I, I actually somebody saying I had twenty eight years, fantastic years there. Um, I must say the social side of roaches was fantastic. I joined. A football team along with Jimmy Cummins who you'll be talking to later um, we were the fulcrum of everything got on there we ran you know we ran discos and quizzes and stuff like that you mm-hmm. know we all went to each other's 21st we went to each other's weddings um, and Jim will probably allude to this again later on about the amount of couples that came from Roaches that married you know afterwards you know, I, I met, met in Roaches and met. And actually, I was reading a bit there, the, you know, the, the former Dunn Stores uh, owner, Ben Dunn, met his, met his wife, Nora Maloney. Yeah, I was going to ask you a question. Did, did you know? Ben Dunn Sr. and uh, was it Stanley Roach, did, were they working together in Dunn's they at were. one stage and did Stanley separate then to open Roaches? Is that right? Well, 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 well my, my take of this is that um, Will, 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 uh, William Roach founded the uh, Roaches stores yeah. as a kind of a furniture store in the late... Uh, 1900s, I think, wasn't it? 1900s, correct, correct, right? So he then branched out into a drapery side of the store then, you know, and... Um, Ben Dunn actually worked for him. And Ben Dunn was a tailor, 
right? right? So Ben Dunn, Ben Bond Dunn used Nate, used Taylor for uh, priests and, you know, uh, missionary people. Yes, you yes. know those long black cassocks, cassocks, yes. as they're called, right? He actually made, he used made them, right? And and one, I think, you know, he was walking, I, I, I started to know, he walked in roaches around the start of the 30s into the mid-30s, right? And he took a bit of a dip himself, right? Mm-hmm. He went to, he went across the road, opened up um, his own uh, store mm-hmm. um, uh, at, the, at the time, and hence, which became obviously the legendary Dunn stores Dunn's after, you know. But, me, um, can I yeah. can I ask you, Finbar, when you look at Roach's stores, to me, I know it was Debenhams for many years, but to Cork people, it will always be Roach's stores. I know every sports company have bought it now recently for something like 12 million. It'll always be known as Roach's. But when you look at the building today, what do you think when you pass it? I, you know, I, I suppose I have a lot of mixed feelings. Like, you know, every time, you know, any time I pass, I can remember the happy times I had in there, you know. Um, and it's just such a shame that the store had was allowed to go into that maybe form of mm-hmm. dereliction in the last couple of years, you know. Um, also, my heart goes out to my former colleagues there who were left high and dry by the uh, Debenhams situation, mm-hmm. you know. You're well aware of that. Yeah. Um, I, look... Paul, I can think of the many fun moments we had there, the funny stories that came out of it, the people that I met, the customers that I met when I was in the sales, you know, talking about the football matches, you know, that time when I played with Roaches, like, you know, we we were playing in the shipping that time, and Postal Walkers, Yard, Capris, Irish Steel, all had fantastic teams that time, and we all walked inside in Roaches that time, so we were talking about the matches who we were playing the next week, you know. Uh, stuff like that, you know, and, and look, I just want, you know, it, like, it's, like it still is a special part in my heart. Uh, and I when, think it's, got, it, it's, it, it's got a part in everybody's heart who, who is from Cork. Come here, I've got other um, former workers. You have indeed, I know I, you I, have. I, I, just want to, I just want to, before I uh, bring them in, you're on because there's a very, very special night being organised by yourself and other workers. Tell us a little bit about the reunion that you're putting together. I will, of course. Uh, I will, of course. But look, Paul, there's... There's maybe a couple of reasons why I want to do this. I organised one or two reunions in in the past, and they were very successful as well, you know. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, we lost a lot of loved colleagues in the last couple of years, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I just wanted to get us back together, to have a big one together, to kind of meet each other, to chat, you know. Because as time is moving on, you know, it's great to see each other while we have our health, you know, and we, and, and like that we can talk to um, each other about those people as well in a very happy mode, you know. And um, as you say, like, it's it just like the, the actual couple of reunions that I did organize in the past were actually magical Brilliant. because we just, we just met up all, it was like as if I were talking to you on the phone here. Mm-hmm. How are you getting on? What's happening with you? Do you know what's your life? Good to see you. How's your family? You know, all that kind of stuff. Great. Absolutely fantastic, you know. When and is this reunion, the next yeah, one? We're meeting there on uh, Friday, November the 17th in John O'Sullivan's Bar and Restaurant in Douglas. So anybody, sorry, Paul, anybody with Roach's connection, family member, anybody who would connect with Roach's, don't have to be even uh, somebody who was walking there, maybe a member of their family or whatever, are more than welcome to come along on the night. We'll have lovely finger food, we'll be well looked after, and it'll be a great night of laughter and fun, you know? Finbar, thanks for taking the call. Oh, and thank I wish you so the much. best of luck, honestly. And, and you know you something, so Finbar, I'm going to talk to Christine Lynch in just a moment, but Finbar, talk to somebody 
write the book of Roger Stores. There's a book in yeah, Roger Stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Do you know, Paul? It went through my mind a few times. All right, you know that that, that even just to do with a few interviews with some of the colleagues that I knew, their yeah. memories even of that. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. That's a good idea, Paul. I appreciate that. And Thank remember, you very when you're much. going there next, uh, when you're going to the reunion, the white bag with the Roche Stores branding in red print. There's still a few have around. It. Have you got one? I have it, Paul. I have it. I have one and all ready and all to go. <laughs> Thanks for that, Paul. Fair play to you, Finbar Thank you very much. Have a wonderful Thank you, night. Paul. I want to Thank bring you. in uh, a former worker as well, Christine Lynch. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. How are you? You were voted Miss Roach's stores 10 years in a row. <laughs> oh, they're still voting me. <laughs> Even when Devin, Devin took over, they still had me as Miss Roach. Fair yeah. Pleasure, yeah. What did, what, 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 there, how long yeah. were you working there? What are the memories like? Yeah, I was there 22 years. Um, no, I did leave well before the Devin was took over. But yeah, I was there 22 years. And you know what, Paul? It was, we, we called ourselves Roach Stores family. And mm-hmm. um, we might be in each other's pockets 24 7. But if something went wrong with anyone, everybody zoomed in, did collections, made sure that person was okay. And um, yeah, it was like from the staff down to the customers. You know, like I can remember one stage there, there was a customer came in one Christmas, Paul, and he was looking for some ingredient for a Christmas cake. And Barry O'Regan, who was the manager of the cake department, didn't have it in stock. Do you know what he did, Paul? He actually got into his car, drove out to his wife, got the ingredients, came back in and gave it to the customer. And that's yeah. the way we were trained. So yeah. it's somebody, what what was she looking for? Yeah, she's looking for some ingredients, ingredients. for a Christmas cake. And he yeah, went home, out to his own house, took it from yeah. the cupboard and back in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was the way Roach Stores was. Yeah. You just would not get anything like that today. No, 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 no. Nobody would do that, no. And like that's the full, like, we, you know, the lad, Pat Sullivan in the men's department. Um, basically, this gentleman, sometimes he'd call into the shop more than others. He was a farmer. He couldn't come into the shop. So what he would do, maybe every couple of months, if he couldn't get in, he would send Pat Sullivan a little letter with a piece of string inside in the letter. The string was his waist size and the other string was his leg size. Oh, and Pat would measure it all up. No, he said his leg size never changed. <laughs> but he used to measure up. There were three fire pants, a navy, a grey and a beige, I think. And Pat would post them out to him. By their, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And why, why yeah. did the staff go that extra length? If you pardon the pun about measurements, but why did she go I that think, extra mile? I think we were trained that way. Mm-hmm. Um, we were all happy in our work. And I think if we were all happier, we were working that came across to the customer. Do you know, everybody was happy there. Right, don't get me wrong, we all had our bad days. Mm-hmm. But most of us were trained that way. Um, and we were happy. I think that was what the difference was. We were happy. Do you know? And from your yeah. 22 years in working in customer yeah. service, okay, you yeah. go in town today or to any city in Ireland. How do you find customer service in general now, Christine, in other outlets and across wherever you may be? Definitely nothing like what was in Rochester stores. And Rochester stores just, like, they just went over and above. I mean, if a customer picked up the wrong size, or that side, the wrong size dress, 
if she did a communion or a confirmation, she'd ring in panicking at the wrong side dress. If we had it in stock, that was delivered out to her straight away. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, there was there's just so many different stories that we could tell. Do we get that service now? Possibly not. Do you know, because the turnover of staff is so high at the moment. Like where when we were there, we went in, we stayed. And I think, like, I remember I had an interview for Erlingus, um, and I got into the stores, and I was promoted to relief supervisor the day I had the interview, and I didn't go for Erlingus. We were just, we, we, we were just so happy in there. Now, as I said, we all, we all had our bad days, but, yeah, in general... And it's wonderful to be able to say something like that because not everybody can say they get up in the morning they look forward to going to work. That's nice to be able to say something like that, isn't it? And it's a great compliment as well, I think, to to the Roach family. I'm nearly in tears because we're reminiscing about what happened and what didn't happen. Yeah, they took my heart. I would love to have another week in there. Just one week the way it was. Um, instead of looking up at an empty building and seeing, as you said, Roach's stores written at the top, which every time I go into town, that's what I do do. I look up and you see your Roach's store sign and you think of all your memories and um, the staff. No, there was some great things happened in there. I mean, we, we weren't 100% good all the time. <laughs> I can remember the lads. There was a thing called a tunnel. It was going from the stockroom into the receiving room and the lads would be up there playing soccer. They'd have the ball, yeah, and they'd be playing soccer up there. Um, there was some good, there was some good laughs in there, Paul. You know, and um, unfortunately, you do not get that anywhere else. I know we're in kind of a an era of PR and everything is PR and HR and we've got to watch your P's and Q's and whatever like that and it's just can't have the the crack anymore. You unfortunately won't make the reunion, I believe, but uh, your thoughts will be with the gang that night. I am actually going on holidays that night. So Finbar has promised me before he does the next, um, before he organises the next reunion after this, that he will contact me and that I will be there helping him organise it. And we never know, Paul, actually we might invite you along. Lovely stuff. I'll do do the disco on the night, just like old times as well. All right. Yeah, Paul, we definitely will. I can remember them. Very good. Listen, Christine, thanks for talking to us. Enjoy your holiday. Thank you so much, Thank you very much indeed. After the break, um, we'll have some more people from Roach's stores to talk. Are you free? I'm free. And this is uh, Paul Byrne filling in for PJ. Now, we're talking about Roach's stores in Patrick Street, uh, the home of romance for many. Jim Cummins, good morning. We'll try that again. Jim Cummins, good morning. Good morning, Paul. How are you doing? Very good, very good. Jim, you met the love of your life in Roach's stores. Does your wife know? I certainly did. And I was actually 43 years old this August. We were married 43 years. And we met her all just north. My goodness. Well, tell My me a little goodness. bit about how, how did you meet? With love across the counter. What love happened? Love across the counter. Basically, <laughs> that was it. I remember I was working in the main shop and I got transferred over to a place called the Leisure Shop. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the Leisure Shop, there was a record shop, sports, toys, and an off license there at that time. And my good lady was working in the record department. Right. So I said you might have bought a few records off her. <laughs> I say you bought a lot more just to go in and see her. You have a, yeah. a, a massive record collection now. Yes, yes. You know, so that was, and we weren't the only one. There was quite a lot inside Got Married and Romance. 
romantic stuff to do. I want to ask you about the cafe which was open to the public and I remember it like for let's take people back because with the changes in Patrick Street you could go down off Patrick Street down a side lane there was a car park somewhere down the side lane off Patrick Street it's all closed up now but there was that beautiful cafe restaurant and I can still remember the smell of the coffee and the cakes and there was also an area where people could put their groceries away and collect them at later am I correct? You're correct, Paul. Actually, when you're talking about the coffee shop, the main part that time was the supermarkets because that was a big group. Those are the big supermarkets. So people went in to do their daily shops. And when, when I would mean daily shops, you know, women would go in early in the morning, right, mm-hmm. do their shopping. And when they were finished, would bring, would, lads would bring their shops, bring their shopping over to the Casa Depot. Yes. They get tickets then for their bag. And then they would actually go to the coffee bar. And that's where they had their tea and coffee and all friends. My aunts went there and many other people like that, and which was great. You know what I mean? And the conversation was very good at the time. There was this wonderful atmosphere. The minute you walked in the door of Roche's stores, it was like being in another world. It was it was ahead of its time in one sense. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I think. I was I was look. I'm only a kid going back in there then, but it was there was something magical about it. There certainly was, Paul, because as we said when we were in there, we were all very raw, but we were well trained because we had good people with us. There was Teddy Brackett, Michael Whelan. John Mackin, they were all the leaders that time inside. And mm-hmm. they actually showed us what to do. And we followed, we followed the rules, Paul. And the rules were simple. And you just kept the rules. And that's how Road to Stores was so successful. And you, you, you mentioned there, um, I, 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 I used to always call him Mr. Mackin because I was in school with one of his sons, but Mr. Mackin, he was always Mr. Mackin to me. Yeah. But these gentlemen, even though they were managers, they didn't come down hard. Like you often see young little whippersnappers in, in some of these um, chain stores who can be kind of like guys, you know, taking out the whip and come on, come on, do this, stack the shelves. But they were part of the team as well. There wasn't an us and them with the managers and the staff. Should there were other people on the ground? No, Paul, Paul, because, you know, as we said, we were all one together, and it was, we were running the business at the time, so you couldn't have that attitude. And you got, as you said, pay peanuts, and, you know, yourself, you, that was it, you know what I mean? And we, you know, there was a standard there, and the standard was good. And even for the, remember I was talking about the, the ladies in there, they had the blue uniforms, mm-hmm. the lads had to wear shirts and ties, you know, so you always had to be neat. Very neat, do you know what I mean? And that was expected. So that came from the top down to the end, to the bottom. Very good. What's your one, besides meeting your your lovely wife, but what's one of your favourite memories of Roche's stores? Oh, Carl, it was quite many. I suppose the best thing we ever did, we actually formed a football team Mm -hmm. in 1976, and we played in the Shipping League. And I think that brought us more together again, you know? And we got great support. Now, you must remember, most of our staff were ladies. Yes. So it was hard to get a team, but we had a team that was all based in Roche stores in mm-hmm. part of the space, which was great. And that time we were competing against top teams like Post Office, CIE. The guards had two teams, you know, in City Hall, County Council, but they were all mostly male-orientated. So we depended on the ladies to support us 
you know, for draws and functions. And that kind of got us closer again. I know times change and we've got to move with the times and we'll see it shortly, I think, as a Elvery Sports. But uh, are we losing a very, very important part of Cork's history or do we just have to move on and, uh, and, and bite the bullet? I think we have to lose the pause, you know, and I feel the people of, you know, people in her authority will have to look and try to develop Cork's history again. Because I walk through Cork's Street, and, you know, it, it's, it's sad, you know, it's just sad. Empty buildings there, and, you know, it's not good anymore, Paul. You know, and it's a pity, because Patrick Street was one of the best shopping streets in Ireland. Mm-hmm. You know, and now, no, it's not anymore, unfortunately, you know. And Does it make you sad to see roaches locked up? And do you it, think it will always be known as roaches? It will always be known as roaches, you know, always, you know. And it's sad when you when you pass that building and see it and people sleeping in sleeping bags in the doorways, you know. It's not nice, you know what I mean? It's not nice. So All right. Well listen, it. are you going to the reunion night, you will? I certainly am and I must say, Mr. Simbar Buckley is a gentleman and he's a great organizer. <laughs> you know, and that and Paul and and another note, over the last few years we've lost a lot of people in Roach's yeah. store, you know, and our thoughts are with them. It would never be forgotten. Jim. Never be forgotten. Lovely, lovely talking thank to you, Jim. Thank, thank you, you very, very much, much indeed. Paul. Good thank morning. You. Goodbye. Bye. Rose O'Connor, you were only 17 at the time when you joined. <laughs> How are you doing? And you, what, you're only 21 yeah. now, isn't it? Oh, shit, that's all 21. Listen, I never left 21. Yeah, <laughs> no, came fresh out of school, North Prez. I did my junior cert, never stayed on for the leaving, left. Um, and within a few months, I got an interview for Tyler's um, on Patrick Street at the time. And within a few hours of that, I got a letter to say I had an interview for Roaches. And so I went for my interview uh, to Tyler's and did my little exam, which was basically a few sums on a, on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And I was told, fine, you have the job. And then, as I said, I got my interview for Roaches. And of course, Roaches was famous and it was at the time a good pensionable job. So there was no way I was going to not go to that interview. So mm-hmm. I went to the interview. And I always remember um, Mr. John Foley, who was our manager at the time, and did the interview. And he said to me, and have you had other interviews or other job offers? And I said, yes, I did, Mr. Foley. I had an offer for uh, Tyler's. And he said, and would you tell me, I'm interested, why did you not take that? Why are you here? Well, I said, you're paying me a pound more per week. (laughs) (laughs) So in my innocence, nowadays you'd have to go through a whole spiel yes. of why you preferred this company. But look, I was honest and I was truthful. And at the time, that's what mattered to me. And so my first week's wage in Roaches was £12. What did you spend it on? For a th- I tell you something now, Paul. <clears throat> I went home with that money and my mother got £7 out of it. And she there was five remaining. Dry. She squeezed you dry. She, I was so, so happy to be able to contribute because that's what uh, you did then. No, Whatever course, money you had, you went straight home. So I had three for myself and I started saving in permanent TSB with wow. two pounds a week. 
and I've been with them ever since. But look, I never regretted going to Roaches. It it has great memories. It's was a, spent a third of my life in there. Um, but it was great. What you you know you mentioned um, your your savings with the bank and everything like that. But yeah, back yeah. then, Rose, you know the 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 banks at the time they thought you know if you get into the bank, it's a job for life. Was Roach a store somewhere that people sought to get into? Was it considered a, a super place, and you were privileged to get a job in there? You were one of the lucky ones. Oh, completely, completely, yes, completely. I mean, they had a good name. They were good employers. Um. They were very ethical in 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 their workings. Um, we were always looked after. We had great perks. I suppose I didn't even realise that, and a lot of the staff didn't until we were out of a job and we went looking at other employments to discover you didn't have any of the conditions, nothing like even the the salary that we had with Roaches. Um, so yes, it was considered a pensionable job. I mean. <laughs> We actually were at a funeral of a gentleman who died there only a few months back, um, Dennis O'Connell, Mr. O'Connell. And for him and for many others, they would have been there until they were reached their pension age, as I would have myself, had mm. they not closed down, Paul. I would never have seen myself moving, you know? I know. Tell me this. I mean, in, in uh, going back in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of companies mm-hmm. would enter tops of the tone. And I know, like, yeah. entertainment and plays were a big part of your own uh, outside of ours. Um, did you ever yes, enter yeah. anything like that? No, I've, uh, group, all right, Anthony O'Reilly was one of them, actually. Anthony had joined the Manfords. And there were a few of the staff who had joined the Manfords, um, all right. But for us, it was just our yearly uh, dinner dance that a group would have got together and um, they would have set up like a a pantomime, as you say, or play or whatever we would have called it at the time. And during the dinner dance then, um, where the, the band would play, they'd have the stage and the group then would go up and they'd put on this panto, you know. Right. And um, it was sure, look, it was great fun. But there was always something going on. There was always a function. Um, as I was saying there to Fergal yesterday, there was always a party for something, you know. It was like the social side of it was brilliant. Um, you always had a hen or a, a baby shower or a wedding afters or a wedding. There was always something. So basically you socialized with the people that you worked with, you know. Um, so it was it was all that it, it it encompassed everything. Your whole life was was part of Roaches because they were your friends and they were friends that you made for life. Like I have three friends, um, as Jimmy said, going back forty years mm. that I made in Roaches, and we're still friends today. You know, so were were staff entitled to a staff discount then uh, back then, Rose? Yeah, yeah, we um, it was a ten percent discount, <clears throat> and then we um, we would get in the early years there would have been a bonus as well. It was like um, not commission based now, but it was a bonus, mm-hmm. and that depended on the profits for the year. Right, and everyone got a bonus, you know. So, um, but yeah, so that that's how it went. At home now, at the moment, Rose, would you have anything in like and uh, the mantelpiece that you bought in Roaches, or would you have your <laughs> uniform or bags or boyros or anything little mementos? Well, I have a bag still, and um, that I rooted out in the attic there. Only recently, I didn't even know it was there. I still have the clock that we got to mark the anniversary. It was a small little clock, so I have that. But to be honest, Paul. 
if I lived another hundred years, I still wouldn't go through all the linens and the towels and all the stuff that I would have bought in roaches. I often look at it there in the attic and I say to myself, what was I thinking? How long did I think I was going to live or how many? Because when the sales came up, you know, they had brilliant sales. Um, and when the sales came up, of course, the word would go around that there was this offer on such yeah, a yeah. figure. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's, you know, they, they, we definitely, I suppose, spent, I used to say, spent half my wages <laughs> in roaches. Um, so, yeah, I would have certainly plenty memorabilia around, you know. Rose, you were a family in 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 Roaches yourself and all the the colleagues. But what yeah. did Roaches mean to the people of Cork? Would you think the people who came through those doors day after day, and and you know put money across the counter? What did it mean to people? Well, I think for a lot of people, um, it was a place to go where they could have the chat. Um, it wasn't just a shopping area. We became friends with so many customers, so many loyal people um, that would have come in day after day. Even we used to be amazed, actually, when you'd get bad weather, snow and ice, um, like, you know, and they'd hardly be anyone in the store. But yes, you could still be sure you were going to get those same loyal people come in. And I remember one day saying to a very elderly gentleman, what are you doing out on a day like today? Well, he said, now, if I didn't have ye to come in and have the chat to, I'd be sat at home on my own. So I look forward to coming in in the morning, seeing Olivy, having a little chat, saying good morning. And I'll go over now and I'll have my cuppa and I'd meet maybe one or two friends and we'll have the chat and then I'll go home on the bus. So we meant more than just, it was more than just a shopping experience. You were counsellors. For a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, listen. No, no. no, I showed I her tell to you cry something. on it. You're no, a listening I ear. I often said, yeah, listening ear, we were friends, confidants, yeah. um, advisors. Yeah, we were really, we were. Um, I suppose we were there daily on a daily basis, even now I just find when I moved uh, jobs, um, the amount of times that people would come in and they'd look at me and they'd say, I know you to see. And I'd, I'd laugh and I'd say, yeah, probably from Roaches. Of course, you know. So, like, we were we were the face, I suppose, every day they saw when, when they came in that side door or that front door, whatever. Lovely. And so, yes, we, we were, yeah. Rose, beautiful. Listen, thanks for taking the call, Rose. Enjoy the enjoy the reunion um, in Jono's. Uh, again, give me the date. So looking forward. What, what, what it's the 17th of November, 17th of November. from 8pm. Yeah, Very from 8pm. So we're all looking forward to it. We want to make it the biggest and the best we've ever had. So we want really to get word out there and get as many people as possible back. Very good. Listen, enjoy it and have a bottle of Tano around the night for me, will you? <laughs> I will, of course. Thank you so much, Paul. Good Take morning, care. Rose. Thank you very much indeed. Line five, Fred Lottie. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. How are you? How are you doing? You lo- you started in nineteen seventy five until two thousand and five. Your memories of Roach's stores in a nutshell. What was it like? What was so good about it? Um, uh, family and friends, uh, great relationships, and a fabulous atmosphere to be walking in. And people keep saying that word, family. That's, that's, there's nowhere else I think could say that at this day and age, is there? 
There's not really, and I think a lot of our families, our own kids as well, grew up inside in Roche's stores in the sense of when they went to college, they were in doing uh, shelf packing and all that in the evenings. So everyone kind of got something out of it in some shape or form, and it, they developed their social skills as well. I was just going to say that, have they, I was just going to yeah. say, have they now developed that work ethos and that social ethos from, yes. from you and others in there? You passed it on to your own families. They have indeed, because there was, there was a great um, camaraderie there as well. But everybody looked out for each other too, in the sense of that if somebody was poorly in, we say, whatever department, the department would actually fundraise a few bob and send out flowers. That was the kind of thing that, that was always thought of. Somebody was sick, they were looked after by their own members in their own department. And um, that you wouldn't get anymore. Yeah. Um, we, we started off... Uh, the social committee inside there way back along because when somebody was retiring like whether we say senior management or we say the ordinary staff for want of a better word the kind of senior management always kind of got the extra few bob because they were management so we decided no everyone should get the same amount of money so we got a deduction from everybody's wages and everybody no matter who they were from top to bottom got exactly the same when they retired unlike, so whether they wanted money or whether yeah. they wanted spending I like that. So I was brilliant, and everyone was treated equal. It closed. Had, it, it closed in two thousand and seven. Sorry, it, it closed in two thousand and seven. But you took a package two two years earlier, really, didn't you? You were so much. Two thousand and five. I was left. I was left go. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there was a few of us left go at that time. Um, running the package, and I went back into construction again. I went into my trade. All right. And and then I came back into Dublin on a part time basis. But I'm, I'm still a painter. I'm even though I'm retired, like, but that was my trade. I was in maintenance all those years for 30 years, oh, looking after that store from top to bottom. Yeah. Tell me, I know we often hear you over the years stories, uh, people meeting under the Mangan's clock, but Roach's stores yeah. was also another place for people to meet. Like, I, I have a jag tonight, I'm meeting this one, or I'm meeting that fellow outside Roach's stores, isn't it? The, the window outside, right. you had the mannequins in the window, but you had men and women queuing up outside waiting to meet their date on, on the night. That was something I used to love. You know, you're driving past and you see all these people waiting for their, for their date. It, it was a, a match made, it, it was a place where people met up really as well, wasn't it? I'll meet you under the top of Mangans or I'll meet you yeah. I'll, we'll have a jagged I'll meet you in Roaches and you get some people in that might be their first date and they'll be kind of pacing up and down like is he going to turn up or isn't he going to turn up <laughs> yes, maybe. and they'll be waiting for some people to pop off the bus then where he or she coming to meet them you know, in that sense because you know most of us didn't have cars at the time but uh, it was just a fabulous atmosphere in the sense of that um, it was a landmark and a landmark in every sense that it's so sad now to see it so desolate at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it's, uh, I was part of the maintenance team that looked after the building from top to bottom. We had a massive crew in there, in fairness, like the carpenters and electricians, fabulous people. And we knew that building inside and out. And it's so sad to see it in the do, condition that it is now. Do we need Richard something Willie. in Patrick Street, like a little plaque or a statue uh, remembering Roche's stores? I think it would be. I think it would be very, very appropriate because the Roaches, Roaches family themselves put an awful lot of work into Roaches stores and they gave employment to thousands, I suppose, over the years. Jeez. And the happiness they brought to people as, as customers, the way they were treated, as, as all our other speakers have spoken about, uh, they were treated with respect. And they were given the time if they needed to have a bit of a conversation. They got that time. 
and sometimes, as Rose said, it might be the only time they'd see somebody in the whole week. Mm-hmm. And as she said, we were counsellors as well as everything else. But on top of that, they became friends. Lovely. Customers became friends. So they weren't the kind of, oh, we have to look after that person because of... No, they actually became friends. Very good. And their families as well, just passed on generation to generation really all right Fred uh, I know there, there are thousands and thousands of people listening to this program today and I'm sure you mm-hmm. uh, Rose uh, Christine uh, Finbar and Jim you've all brought back some memories to our listeners this morning I'm sure the majority of people listening have been in and out of or were in, in and out to Roach stores over the years I wish you the very best of luck continued good health to you and everyone Thank you, uh, from Roach stores you have served your city well and you deserve uh, a donut or two and a sandwich on the 17th of November in Jono's and um, I hope you have a great night and just may I say that uh, Mr. Stanley Roach who was in charge of the cock store as the one of the Roach family he was an absolute gentleman as you are as you are everyone thank you very much indeed much obliged, Paul. Good thank you very friend. much thank bye you bye and we're into the final uh, furlong it's um, right now if your name is Laura or you know somebody who's called Laura have a listen to this because Dave uh, called the programme some time ago and he wants to track down whom uh, he believes is a nurse Dave good morning good morning to you Paul oh, how are you oh my thanks Dave, you're looking to track down Laura because she came to the aid of your wife who recently became uh, unwell in tone. What happened? Well, really, we were just uh, coming out of Dunn's stores and we were walking along steadily, my wife, and um, there was no warning, nothing. I just had a few seconds, and within a few seconds, my wife had a seizure. So um, this was at the final place there. And at mm-hmm. the top of uh, the top of Mailer Street. Yes. And um, from there, I tried to hold her. And I had all of her neck, and I broke. I broke the fall, but she went down on me so quickly. I, I couldn't do anything. Right. And then um, I was holding her there, and the other thing, she she was she wasn't uh, with me at all. I was getting really worried. You know, I was, she was out of it completely. So, um, basically, the, the nurse, Laura, turned up, and she kneeled down alongside of us. I, I, I was standing over, over my wife, and um, she, she was a rock. She was like a rock between us. Um, she was checking her Fitbit. Um, she, was, she was checking her pulse. She was, she was putting a, a bag underneath her, my wife's neck while I was holding it she was so so warm and, and and everything you know she was so helpful and you you found out her name was Laura and she's a nurse yeah I, I, well, I actually asked her Paul but the thing was at the time in the heat of the moment I, I, I meant to ask her which hospital she was from mm-hmm. or clinic or wherever she was working but it didn't uh, I just didn't it didn't come to me to ask her where Okay, listen, because we're caught for time, um, I just want to say I know you're very, very anxious to contact Laura. You and your wife would like to meet with her. So, we're putting out the uh, appeal today. If your name is Laura, you're a nurse, and you wear glasses, 
and you came to the aid of a very sick uh, lady in Cork on Saturday the 9th of September yeah. please call us on 0818969696 because you Dave and your wife you're, you're ever so grateful to this young lady gratitude is 100% behind her she was so so nice and she didn't have to stay Paul she, she stayed there alongside my wife for about 20 minutes now you know, for anybody, a total stranger to stay there on her knees and talking to her and she asked her to squeeze her hand if she could hear her and, and, and everything, you know. She just did everything possible. But it was so it was so nice to have somebody there, you know. At the time, I, I couldn't... I, I, what I was doing was I was just holding my wife and we put her in a recovery position yeah. and, and that was it. How is your wife today, um, Dave? She's fine, thanks very much, Paul, but we've got an appointment this afternoon in, in COH. Um, she was a pacemaker, so I've got to get that checked out. Okay. Um, but other than that, and I appreciate the programme as well, the team there, you know, they're all very good. And if anything becomes of this, I'll never forget it. All right. Again, Laura, a nurse, wears glasses, working in a hospital in Cork. She came to the aid of Dave's wife, who became very unwell, unwell in Cork City at the top of Mailer Street on Saturday the 9th of September. Somebody knows Laura. Laura, if you're listening, get in touch. We want to put you in touch with Dave and his good wife. Call us on 0818-9696. Or, Laura, you can text us on 0833-969696. Dave, I wish you well. I wish you well, your wife, uh, a speedy recovery and continued good health to her. And I know, I do believe that we will find uh, the... uh, the Florence... What what the the Nightingale, isn't it? Florence Nightingale. Um, I appreciate everything, Paul, uh, coming on. And the thing is, every, every somebody must know the story. She must. She might have even spoken. She might have it. even mentioned it to somebody. I know. Mentioned it. I know a few nurses myself from different hospitals. Yeah. And so I'm. I'm going to check every hospital out if I can. We'll track yeah. her down, no doubt. I guarantee we'll much be back to you within 24 you, hours. Dave, thanks, thanks very, very much, much indeed. for speaking to me, okay? Not at all. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, thanks the team there for me, will you? Thanks. Will do. Thank you, Dave. Listen, we have dozens and dozens of texts in relation to Roach's stores. Gareth O'Callaghan is here tomorrow morning. I'm going to leave some of those for him, if you don't mind, because we're out of time. Today's show was edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. As I said, Gareth is here tomorrow. I'm Paul Byrne, thanking you for your company. Happy Christmas to one and all. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.